today's episode of Something to Wrestle With is brought to you by fight.tv forward slash StarCast. Bruce, have you heard the news? All the events that are going down at StarCast that were sold out, man. Now they're going to be available at fight.tv forward slash StarCast. And we're kicking it off with a Monday Night War debate with you and Eric Bischoff. Well, you know what they say, Conrad, is that the winners always write history. And so I will be writing the debate with Mr. Bischoff um, live and in color, not edited, and you're going to get the whole thing. And I will explain to Mr. Bischoff why we were the best then and why we're the best now. And that's going down on Thursday, August 30th. But the next day, it's really the main event of the whole convention, if you ask me. It's the roast of Bruce Pritchard. And we've got lots of guests we can't announce here. You probably. What the hell was that? Well, we're going to have some of our... I thought you said that we were going to have roast. Huh? I I said, I like my medium rare. Well, I'm sorry. I invited some of your old friends, and they're going to murder you on stage. I'm looking forward to it, man. We've even got some professionals. I'm calling in the professionals. Ron Funches is going to be there. I don't know that he can be mean, but we might find out. You know Shuley from the Stern Show. He can be mean. He's going to be fired up. And I even brought in a big dog, Mike Lawrence, who won the roast battle. He is going to murder you, Bruce. Are you excited, nervous, anxious? We're bringing in, this is almost like a Bruce Pritchard. This is your life, this roast of Bruce Pritchard. I don't know these people. I like my roast medium rare. And if anybody is mean to me, I'm telling. Well, I'm telling you, you can join us. I know the tickets are sold out, but now it's on fight. So go to fight.tv forward slash starcast. Right now, we're offering a platinum weekend pass. Specifically, what you get is over 40 hours of content, over 20 live stage shows, and you get a $20 fight credit. Hey, is All In going to be on fight? Because they could use the credit for that, right? And you get a piece of the All In ring canvas. That's right, where history is going to be made, man. Cody's going to challenge for the NWA world title. Will he become the first ever second generation NWA champion? Is this Rey Mysterio's last big show outside of the WWE? How often will we get to see the Golden Lovers in the United States? What about Okada and Marty Skrull? You're going to own a piece of wrestling history, and this is the only place to get a piece of this ring canvas. And these shows, if they were priced individually at StarCast, would sell somewhere between $4.99 and $12.99. But now you get all of them with the $20 fine credit and the all-in ring canvas, a retail value of over $345 at a fraction of the price. Go check it out right now. But hurry, if you're looking for a piece of this all-in ring canvas, clearly supplies are very, very limited. When the canvas is gone, it's gone forever. Don't miss your chance to claim a piece of wrestling history. Go to fight.tv forward slash StarCast to claim your piece of wrestling history today before it's too late. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Something to Wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. Bruce, what's going on, man? How are you? Well, I'm great. I'm coming to you live and in living color from New York in the Sam Roberts studio on the 74th floor of the Sam Roberts Complex. One heck of an episode last week, Bruce. We got lots of mixed reviews about Muhammad Hassan. Some people loved it. Some people hated it. What'd you think? I thought it was fair. Is what I thought. I thought that we covered it and we went through everything that we could possibly cover. And I think a lot of people have fantasized that it was a lot more than it actually was. And they were maybe expecting some kind of controversy and some kind of hidden agenda. 
when it was as simple as bad timing. Uh, two things I wanted to pitch right fast. We didn't, we didn't really talk about and drill down when the character sort of changed because it did start with this. I'm being discriminated against. And then before you know it, there's dudes and hoods. So it was certainly changed. When was the decision made to double down? Was that because, you know, we sort of, we had him red hot, but as they say in the wrestling business, he wasn't quite white hot yet. Well, it just was a natural progression and it was a natural change to get more heat and probably to go back to more traditional heat, I guess, if you will, more than anything. It wasn't a really a conscious let's change. It was just a tweak in the character and let's get more heat. So let me ask you this too. You, you sort of teased the week before and I kind of forgot this, but our listeners did not. You teased, I'm going to name names. And you, you sort of acted like there was somebody who needed to take responsibility for this, but we didn't really have like a big reveal where you were dishing. Did you leave that out on, on purpose last week? Or what can you tell me I, about? You know, I really thought better of it, but, but I was making reference to the little writer's assistant who was trying to be a writer and who was presenting himself as much more than he actually was, who actually came to me one day when I asked him to get water for John Cena coming out of the ring and told me that he wasn't a writer's assistant. I said, well, actually, yeah, you are. But I just decided against it and just will let sleeping dogs lie. Oh, no. We don't want to do that. Yeah, well, no, it's it's not worth it. Come on, Bruce. Nah, it's really not worth it. You, 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 when you, here's the thing: when you when you give when you give people, uh, it's giving them too much credit that they don't deserve. So that's why so it's it's a conscious effort. And I'm sorry if you're disappointed. People are disappointed, but um, that's it. Uh, after thinking about it, I was like, eh, screw them. So I think a lot of people saw your table for three that was on the WWE network this week, and it probably gave them their Bruce Pritchard fix because they managed to release that the week we're not airing for the first time. What can you tell everybody about your table for three episode besides what was very, very obvious if you watched it? What was very, very obvious? Well, you know. What's that? Well, go ahead and say it, damn it. Well, I guess we should tell everybody you guys were right on the heels of doing our live show over WrestleMania weekend when you taped that. And maybe there were people who were having a good time. Oh yeah. Bischoff was hammered. Yeah. That was, that was pretty apparent. And what's funny is, you know, I don't know Bischoff the way I know you, but you could just see it in his face. And I'm curious what his feedback is going to be when he watches it back. I thought it came across well, you know, we, we had fun doing it and I had quit drinking as, as you recall, you know, that during the show, really. And yeah, Layfield, like had, and Layfield had stopped drinking. Eric had started drinking before our show and continued and was excited to know that he could drink during the table for three. Well, so what was funny to, to me is um, you sort of got caught at our live show because we had, <laughs> we had them give us like a whole bucket of beers underneath the table. And you were doing like the Ric Flair working beer gimmick where you like open a beer and take like two sips and then put basically a whole beer back into the cooler, insinuating it's a dead soldier. And when JBL accidentally kicked it, beer goes everywhere because you had all these loose cans in there with the tops off. When did you become a, I don't know, a gimmick? 
<laughs> when did I become a gimmick? I would venture to say I've always been a gimmick. However, on that particular day, I knew I had table to three to do later on. So well, I why pretend to open more beers. Are you 17? Why not just gimmick? <laughs> gimmick. I love it. It's a gimmick. Speaking of gimmicks, uh, this week, uh, speaking of gimmicks, Sam Roberts just walked in the room too, but go ahead. I'm sorry. Um, Dave Meltzer called out Eric Bischoff for him saying on the table for three that Scott Hall came over for not a raise, you know, it was fewer dates. And of course, Smeltzer says, that's just not true. He came over for a significant raise and fewer dates. And he made mention of the fact that all the WCW salaries were disclosed. And I guess somewhere along the way, Scott Hall had said that he was making around $400,000 as Razor Ramon when he worked with the WWF. Does that $400,000 mark sound about right to you for Razor in his last year in the company? It may have been. I don't know exactly what he was making his last year in the company, but uh, probably close. I mean, I'll tell you, if that's what he says he made, that's what he said. Well, good deal. Well, we're going to be talking a lot about what he said, she said today when we cover the invasion. But first, I guess we should address the he said, she said about this past weekend in Pittsburgh. You know, we always brag that we're going to try to work on a guest. And man, did you come through this time? Tell everybody who we had. Well, I couldn't get Vince McMahon, so I thought I would get the next best thing in Vince McMahon's attorney, the one and the only, the man who took down the United States government and WCW both, Jerry McDivitt, Esquire, as JR likes to say. It was pretty cool, man, because this guy is almost like the guy behind the guy. I mean, we've all heard his name and we've all heard, you know, what an assassin he could be in the courtroom and how he was sort of the ace of Vince's sleeve, but we've never actually been able to put a face with the name or at least in person. I mean, he almost never makes some sort of appearance like this, but he did for you. And he told some hilarious stories about Vince McMahon that we probably can't tell here. And then talk to us a little bit about the real Vince McMahon in real life and it was awesome. I had a great time. One of our more fun shows. We appreciate everybody putting up with a, a last minute venue change and a, a less than ideal venue to say the least, but man, they worked hard to accommodate us and hopefully everybody had a good time. And we're looking forward to getting back on the road again, because we've got a show coming up in our home away from home, New York city, Gramercy theater tickets are on sale for SummerSlam weekend. It's the Saturday before SummerSlam. You'll have plenty of time to come to our show and then go to NXT tickets are on sale now at BrucePritchard.com. And Bruce, you told me off air, we've already got some pretty guests, some pretty big guests lined up for that one. Do you want to give anybody a tease as to who might be showing up in New York city? No teases. You got to show up to see who the special guests are. And we're working on doing more than one actually. So, uh, it should be an awful lot of fun in New York city. The whole gang's going to be in town. A lot of people for the SummerSlam weekend. So you never know who's going to show up. Well, two of the four names you mentioned to me are show stealers, and I hope we put it together. I also hope that you come check us out. San Antonio, we're coming to see you in September on September the 15th. Of course, Nashville sold out on September 13th. We've got dates in October and November as well. And uh, you can come see us in Los Angeles. You can come see us in Boston. We're all over, and there's rumor and innuendo that you're working on another show right now, Bruce. Tell us about uh, working, it. Yeah, working on getting that Bay Area show, folks. So uh, hopefully we're going to be in San Jose. 
in December as well and get out to the Bay Area. We haven't made it out there yet, and I'm excited about getting up there. Wine country. Bruce and I also had a bit of a powwow, and in the next year, we're going to be able to hit cities that aren't on the WWE pay-per-view schedule. Specifically, you listed a few cities you'd like to go to. Tell everybody in those markets the good news for next year. Well, man, I'm, I'm shooting for Atlanta. I'm shooting for Denver. We're shooting for Minneapolis. We're going to go to a lot of the hotbeds where WWE isn't going with their schedule for major events. So you're going to get the major event of something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard and Conrad Thompson live. And looking at that, I'm going to go through there and hit the markets that are not going to be covered by the WWE and make it a little special tour in the year 2019. Damn. You know what's fun is you mentioned to me Seattle being a market you'd like to go to. I've never been to Seattle, so I'm looking forward to that. Stay tuned for all of our new show dates. Of course, we're coming to see you as well in the UK and Phoenix. And of course, WrestleCade, which is right around the corner. It'll be here before you know it in November. Winston-Salem, our very first time we've ever been in North Carolina doing a show like this. Tickets for all this stuff is available at BrucePritchard.com. Bruce, we have filibustered long enough. Let's talk about while we're here. Let's talk about the Invasion pay-per-view. Now, there's so much meat on the bone for the actual Invasion storyline. We're not going to be able to get to it all today, but we are going to cover the pay-per-view that went down on July 22nd, 2001 at the Gund Arena in Cleveland, Ohio. And the prior few months leading to this pay-per-view, probably the most important in wrestling history up to that point. Wouldn't you agree? Well, I think that it definitely was a period where everybody was looking at us going, what the hell is going to happen now? After the purchase of WCW, everybody wants to know, what are they going to do with this property now? Because the, the big stars didn't come. And we had to create and recreate a lot of things out of, well, I guess you could say we made chicken salad out of chicken shit. Pretty phenomenal what happens with WCW, you know, leading up to this. Of course, in 98, they were averaging more than 8,000 fans per house show, a figure no wrestling company in history had ever done. And the WWF, riding that Austin 316 wave, manages to get up to over 10,000. And even though WCW's on the decline, they still have. 23 consecutive house show sellouts ratings are booming 4.47 slightly beating raw at the time, but by the end of 98 raw is winning and WCW pay-per-view averages are like 0.93 buy rates, but by the end of WCW, they're down to 0.197. It's a pretty monumental circling of the drain. You know, Greed, their last pay-per-view, only drew 5,000 fans. Only 3,500 of them paid. You've got a gate for a pay-per-view of like 117,000. By comparison, if the WWE does a pay-per-view now, you know, they can have gates in excess of a million dollars. So, you know, a 5 or 10x multiple compared to where WCW was at the end. You know, obviously the WWF had had their fair share of tough times when you were there too, Bruce, you know, you and McDivitt told stories about them taking the water coolers out of Titan towers because they couldn't afford them. But have, I mean, there's never been a, a collapse the way WCW did as big, as fast, as hard, right? No, there really hasn't. I can't think of one, you know, there's been companies that have gone out of business and just to be clear to everyone, I never 
ever like to hear about companies going out of business, especially wrestling companies, because you know so many people in those companies. They all have families, and you want them to prosper. You want everybody to make money because the more money that they're making over there, it should be you're making just as much over here. So it was it was sad that it came to an end, but they had run the business into the ground and they, they ran as quickly as it rose. It fell just as quickly as well. So it was, it was tough to watch. Well, let's talk about, you know, you guys sort of stepping in and I'm sure we'll cover this more in subsequent shows, but a memo comes out from Brad Siegel on March 16th to the entire WCW staff. And he's pushing that WCW programming will, is going to go into a hiatus starting March 27th. And they're going to review the plans and blah, blah, blah. And they've got a big meeting for everybody on March 28th. Well, the end of that very same day, they announced they're canceling wrestling. And that is the end of a 29 year run of professional wrestling content on TBS. And this happens because a TBS spokesperson says, quote, we've decided professional wrestling in its current incarnation just isn't appropriate for the high scale upscale brand that we have built on TNT and TBS superstation. So we are no longer interested in carrying the product. You know, they were on TBS before you were even up there, you know, before you're in the WWF, there's wrestling on TBS. When you first hear that that's no longer going to be a thing, just as a wrestling fan, it's kind of weird, isn't it? Well, it, what was weird about it was Ted Turner's love for professional wrestling and Ted Turner's involvement specifically in professional wrestling and having wrestling on his station. It was something that he built WTBS on and something that he himself loved. So for Turner not to be having wrestling on his station anymore, that was truly monumental. And it was also something that we looked at. We were hoping in purchasing WCW that would continue. However, Time Warner, AOL Time Warner, they had, they had a different idea. They didn't like wrestling and felt that it was going to upgrade their product by taking wrestling off of it. Well, of course, the guy who makes the decision to pull the plug is Jamie Kellner. And it's a name that is synonymous with the end of WCW. Did you ever meet Kellner or have a conversation with him ever in any walk of life? No, never, never met Jamie. You know, th those guys, so many of those higher ups at, at TBS, there was really no reason to meet them, nor did right. they feel that they needed to meet anybody in wrestling. Of course, I think a lot of people know that Eric Bischoff had found a, a group of investors and they were calling themselves fusion media venture. And they were supposed to be buying the company and they had originally offered somewhere in the range, according to the observer, 70, 75 million. But once they actually get a chance to do some due diligence and see the actual financials, they realize the sad state of affairs, the company's in, they back it down to 48 million and change. But in the end, they just say, screw it. We're not putting it on TV anymore. And really the deal has nominal value at that point. And this happens just a year after Tom Warner was allegedly trying to sell the company for $600 million. So when you find out that this is not going to happen. And I mean, even when fusion had supposedly a bid in there for like $5.7 million down and then $2.15 million per year in payments over 20 years. So it's a significant upfront and then millions of dollars a year for a long, long time. 
And then you find out that's off the table and Vince McMahon has bought it. What's the reaction amongst longtime employees? Is it high fives all around a sigh of relief? What do you remember? You know, it really, at first, I think there was some confusion as to what the hell are you going to do with it? And it was viewed by some people as a dead brand, but listening, you know, as you got into it and listening through what the hell was going on and hearing all of these astronomical numbers and Vince was scoffing at those inflated numbers the whole time going, the hell's it worth? You know, it's, it's not worth $50 million. It's not worth $20 million. It's not worth $10 million. So as you, as you go through that, Vince had very clearly what he was looking for. He, he was looking for that library and he was looking for assets and didn't think that there were a whole hell of a lot of assets at WCW, but felt that really their only alternative was to sell to us and to sell their, their library and some of the, the rings and what have you. Wasn't a whole lot to sell. So let's talk about, um, the actual amount of money that's been rumored that Vince McMahon buys it for. But before we do that, because I know you've got a great anecdote from this past weekend when McDivitt dropped a line on us, I'll never forget. But I do want to ask about the end of 2000 because it makes the dirt sheets that Vince McMahon was close to buying WCW at the end of 2000. Not March of 2001, but the end of 2000. Do you remember his, him, you know, that even coming up in any of the meetings or is this something he was playing close to the vest at the end of 2000? No, we were talking about it, Vince, you know, when WCW announced and was fishing out there that they were looking to sell, there was always, uh, God, his last name escapes me, but Stu was a gentleman that was our CEO and Stu had worked at TBS and he had worked for the Turner organization before coming to work for us. So he had a relationship and he was doing, he's the one that put the deal together. He's the one that was talking to the folks at WCW. And yeah, I mean, when, as soon as it was up for sale, Vince, we all knew that he was interested in it, was thinking about purchasing whether or not the whole company or just, you know, different parts of it. Let's talk a little bit about the amount, because when the deal actually closes, the rumor and innuendo is that Vince paid somewhere in the range of $2 million for WCW and all of its intellectual property and all of the videotape library. And what I found so fun about our visit with McDivitt this past weekend is when someone brought up he, that he was sort of the, the guy who had the idea why don't you just make another razor and diesel, which was the Genesis of fake razor, fake diesel. And it was all born out of you guys suing WCW that, Hey, Scott Hall and Kevin Nash are in here, you know, sort of portraying themselves as working for us. And you guys landed a run sheet and they're actually listed on the run sheet, the format for the television show as razor and diesel. So in the end, years later, Turner has to write a check for like $2 million to settle this case with Vince McMahon and Jerry quipped. And then later we use that money to buy the company. Exactly. How great is that? You gotta love it. Well, you know, it's, it's just justice in the end. I remember when Vince sold, you know, he purchased 
Georgia Championship Wrestling. He got control of that by getting Jerry and Jack Briscoe to sell him their stock. He gained control. That was Black Saturday, and everybody went nuts when the WWF product was on TBS in the 5.05 time slot. So when Jim Crockett bought the time slot and bought that Georgia Championship Wrestling back from Vince, Vince made the same comment to him. I'm going to use this money to, to kick your ass. So years later, he actually got time, time Warner or WCW to pay the two, $2 million and just use that money to buy him a little while later. Poetic justice. What do you remember about Hulk Hogan being in the discussion? I asked because it was in the, uh, observer that Hogan was trying to send out feelers here because he felt like maybe he had a little bit of leverage if there was going to be some sort of acquisition of WCW. Of course, he had been on the sidelines for WCW for a while because he's in litigation with them and, and Vince Russo. But if now that if there's going to be a change of ownership, it's going to be a payday for brother Hogan. What do you remember about Hulk Hogan's name coming up around the time of the acquisition? There were all, well, first of all, Hogan's Hogan's name always seemed to come up when his contract was coming up and he was sending out feelers to see if there was any interest at this time. It was one of the few times where Vince wasn't really interested. Uh, he was thinking if we get, if we would have gotten the deal done, maybe a month or two months earlier, maybe he might've considered it. He might've thought about it. But during this time, there was so much going on with the XFL and just our company exploding in general that, eh, there wasn't a whole lot of interest in Hulk at that time. He figured he could wait, let, you know, let Turner do their thing. And, uh, maybe it'd be good for Hulk to set out for a little while. Well, of course, in April, it comes, ECW comes to an end too, and Paul Heyman shows up and he's a commentator and all of a sudden we go from three down to one. It's, it's quite a quarter for the WWF at the time, because we've got your biggest competitor who nearly puts you out, essentially your little brother that you were sort of keeping in business. It was almost a feeder system for you there at one point, they're both out of business and you're about to have one of your biggest paydays ever. The invasion pay-per-view, the actual name of the show, the concept, how far in advance was this planned once you knew, okay, ECW's gone and Paul's with us and we've got WCW. We don't want to do it at SummerSlam. What if? We didn't. You know, it just happened so damn fast. The purchase of WCW happened, I would say, from our vantage point, from a creative vantage point, we were told maybe a week w before it actually took place that it was serious and was most likely going to happen. So it's like, okay, we were worried about WrestleMania and WCW didn't factor into it one iota. It just happened after the fact that, okay, we had WCW, we brought in some of the guys to be up in a box for that WrestleMania 17 in Houston, but we hadn't given it any thought. ECW was dead. We, we had no, no designs whatsoever in doing anything with ECW, the brand in any way, shape or form at that time. Paul was working for us. Paul was working for us in a creative capacity at that time. And we hadn't even, you know, he had, he had just started as a color commentator, but that even just happened 
kind of by happenstance. It, it was nothing that was really planned out. So it, it just, as it developed week by week, it got more and more, but not really by design. So let me ask you this, you know, the idea of a wrestling network, you even talked about on the table for three, that when you first came to work with Vince McMahon, within a year of working there back in 87 or 88, he was saying, you know, one day we're going to have a network. And of course, at the time, pre-internet, people probably thought this was a cable channel. Well, this is sort of rumored again, to the point that it would be in the observer quote, both Vince and Linda have said they have no plans to do a 24 hour wrestling channel, which would make use of the extensive video libraries of the WWF, WCW, and presumably ECW, which they may have rights to through their recent deal with Paul Heyman. Of course, we know eventually they would get the rights to that contract. Now he's denying it here, but that means somebody somewhere was suggesting it. Do you remember the idea of a wrestling channel being suggested back in 2001? Well, Vince was always talking about a wrestling of having a network, not necessarily a wrestling network, but having a network and much like USA and everything else. Yes. Wrestling would be a huge part of that network, but he wanted to be able to produce other shows, entertainment shows, have other sporting events on the network. At this time, that was his his thinking. Those of us in the wrestling side of it are thinking how great it would be to have a 24-hour wrestling channel where you get to utilize all of the footage that we have for all those years going back however many years of Wrestling Challenge and Superstars of Wrestling Prime Time. We had enough footage and content that we felt that we could do a 24-hour wrestling channel. So... That wasn't Vince's intent. It was, that was just our, us talking amongst ourselves, but I don't know that was ever Vince's intent. It was more of having a network. And then later on the network became the streaming service. It is now. Let's skip ahead. Uh, let's go to July 19th. There's a conference call with the media and Jr. does admit that the plan once upon a time was to make raw a WCW program. But that was no longer on the books and quote, we're back to square one at this point. I think a lot of people picked up on this on an older episode. We talked about the idea that raw may have moved to a different day or may have moved to something else. And the focus on WCW been a Monday show. Talk to us about if the WCW show was a Monday show, would it, would, would that and raw have aired back to back head to head would raw have moved what were the plans that obviously didn't happen raw essentially would have become the wcw branded show and that would have been a wcw show you know the original original you know we started talking about purchasing wcw was we wanted that time slot on tnt right or yeah tnt um and that we were going to do raw on Monday nights and then do SmackDown, which would be the WWE branded show on, you know, Thursday or Friday nights, whichever it was at the time. So that was just the original working idea. Well, let's talk about where we're headed next. You know, you guys are going to be combining some writing teams and we've discussed this in long form before there were ideas about running two different creative offices, one in New York, one in Atlanta. But eventually it comes to be, we're going to make this a storyline and Shane McMahon is going to take the helm. And Shane McMahon, of course, is who showed up on the March 26th episode of Nitro, the very last one said something like the name on the contract was McMahon. 
but it wasn't Vince McMahon. When you guys first do this and you, you know, have this angle started, what did you think at that time the payoff would be? I think that, you know, the idea would be to run separate shows with the WCW brand and the WWE brand, getting us to WrestleMania once a year for the big Super Bowl. And that would be the one and only time per year that the WCW superstars would face WWE superstars. And that would be the only time that they would clash. You would still have your monthly pay-per-views. Uh, we'd probably alternate back and forth. But, all you know, again, it, it happened so quickly that so much of this was, was ideas just being thrown out of left field and everybody trying to figure out, not knowing what we had and what we didn't have. You know, we bought the damn thing. We were at Nitro. We had no idea what talent we were going to keep, if any. So... It was it was just a very fluid situation and and constantly changing, just almost seemingly every hour. When did you guys, you know, this is an area where all the pay per views were named something different. When did you guys settle on the invasion pay per view and this classic poster that has even been spoofed in our cover art this week? Where originally, of course, it was half Shane, half Vince McMahon. This week, you're treated our fucking faces instead. I, I absolutely like our version a little bit better, but, um, it was, you know, it was a way to try and make something out of nothing. We realized very quickly that the talent that we did acquire from WCW, we didn't have the big names. People really didn't give a shit. And to WWE fans, they, a lot of them, and I know everybody, oh, if you're WCW fan, Man, they didn't know the WCW people. They didn't care. They were WWE loyally loyalists. They they loved their WWE product, and everything else was second fiddle. So while they might have heard of them and they might have recognized some old stars, they didn't care, and the brand meant nothing. We felt that you know you're so close to something sometimes that you you envision it's a lot more than it actually is to the free world if you will and as we got into it quickly realized our audience doesn't give a shit so we had to make the most that we could out of it to try and make it mean something so you have to create competition from within and knew that we needed to have some WWE guys jump ship and move them around and, and, and join, join in. And maybe that's when the idea was floated. Well, what if ECW was a part of it? Um, people didn't give a shit about ECW. So it was just tough, but we had guys like RVD Rhino that could play and, and the Dudleys that could play into that ECW brand. They were from there before. So, uh, a lot of it was a force and it was just a work in progress. Who, who will, who will work, who will fit. Why, why not wait and do it later? If you can't get Nash or sting or Ric Flair or Goldberg or some of these names, why not just wait? Cause we didn't know if we would ever get them. Oh, come on. Everybody always comes back. I, I, I understand that. However, when you're dealing in the now and you've just purchased this property, you think you're thinking you got one thing and, and it's just how long do you wait? 
One guy's contract's up in six in six months. One guy's contract is up in 16 months. So who do you wait for? How long do you wait? And then we knew we weren't going to offer them the kind of money that they were making guaranteed. Vince had already resigned himself not to do that. So would they ever come? Goldberg had no desire to be in the wrestling business. He didn't like it and made it very clear. Hogan wanted a lot of money. Nash and, and Hall, they wanted a lot of money. Vince wasn't prepared to guarantee him that kind of money. So you move on. You move on with what you have, and you can't you can't make plans on what if, what, what will happen in 16. Let's wait 16 months and see what happens. Vince didn't like that. He's going to move now and, and make decisions in the now. Well, what he winds up with, are Lance Storm, Chuck Palumbo, Sean O'Hare, Mark Jindrak, Mike Awesome, Alex Skipper, Shane Helms, Shannon Moore, Stacy Keebler, Chavo Guerrero Jr., Mike Sanders, Hugh Morris, Sean Stasiak, Kaz Hayashi, Yun Yang, and Billy Kidman. Um, a lot of these guys have 90-day cycles, so you could technically renegotiate or let them go. You're not necessarily guaranteed. There's a total of like... 24 contracts and there are some other guys who didn't come in right away or at least on in the initial contract conversations rick steiner jim duggan bam bam stevie ray animal jeff jarrett lex luger buff bagwell dustin rhodes sid vicious Madasia, miss jones david flair chronic and vampiro make that list of course we know you wind up working a deal out with bigelow there's a lot of people who believe they're going to be fired right away. Um, obviously we know Jeff Jarrett never made his way back and allegedly as crazy as this sounds, the observer would report that the company wasn't even interested in Ray Mysterio jr. At least initially, why was Mysterio not a hot property from McMahon? Why, why, what didn't he see at first? What didn't Vince get? Hey, it wasn't a hot property for WCW either. So it wasn't like, oh my God, you're, you're missing out on this huge hot property of Ray Mysterio that WCW has drawn all this money. Ray hadn't done anything yet. He was truly a great talent and, and tremendous talent, but what the hell had he done? The Observer would report that a lot of the guys who were in the locker room at the time who were friends with Ray went to bat for him and hearing that they weren't interested and they sort of asked Stephanie McMahon, what was up? You know, what, why is Ray not coming in? And allegedly she told some of those guys that they had heard he had a bad attitude, which all the coworkers denied. Do you remember once upon a time there being a rap on Ray as being a guy with a bad attitude? Never, never. And I never heard, I never heard anybody say that Ray had a bad attitude and I don't think that, uh, God, I, I have no idea where the hell that comes from. That That's bullshit on my end. The whole thing with Ray Mysterio was that Ray was asking for a lot of money that Vince didn't feel that he warranted. And Vince wasn't, Vince didn't know him, felt he was small, didn't like masked wrestlers. And again, what had Ray Mysterio done in WCW to make him worth all of this money? Plus he had a contract he was being paid out on. So it wasn't, he wasn't interested in coming to WWE for less money. What about Shane Douglas? 
you know, here's a guy who had had a rocky past, you know, he had not left on the best of terms. Uh, usually whenever he leaves a company, he bashes them on the way out, including the WWF he's 36 and a strong interview, but a lot of people consider him injury prone at this point in his career. Do you remember any discussions about Shane Douglas in 2001? I, I remember just thinking that, and this was internal talk in the creative team. There wasn't any interest in Shane. And a lot of it did have to do with some of the comments that had been made before. And the funny thing about that is, is we find out in history, no matter how bad your comments are about the company, you'll be brought back in and, and the red carpet will be rolled out for you. But, but they're just fairness, that. that some of that is the office was making the decision of, well, he bashed us. So fuck him. And when I say office, I mean, everyone around fence. Vince is the one who can normally say, turn the other cheek, pal. What's best for business? Bring them back. Right. Yeah. But there was no interest in Shane at that point. But why is my question? Do you think that Shane wasn't interesting? Wasn't a good performer? Wasn't a good promo? Or is it just, man, this guy's difficult to do business with. Fuck him. I don't know that Shane experienced, uh, expressed any desire to come in. Well, and course. I don't know uh, what's that. Of course he wanted to come in. Did he tell you that? I don't think he did. Well, what, I, I what, think what would Shane, he prefer to do? Make shots in fucking Philadelphia area indies? No. Some guys do. Some guys do prefer that. But again, it wasn't, you know, out of the guys that were available to come in, we, we got most of those guys that were available to come in. I don't know where Shane landed on that list. I remember a very brief discussion as to whether or not Shane Douglas was somebody that we wanted to go after, and nobody seemed to have anything for him. So we moved on. What about road warrior animal Bagwell Luger? Obviously Bagwell. Bagwell up, did come in. He winds up getting a look, but originally the reports were you guys weren't necessarily sold on him. Is that based on the perceived heat or he didn't think you guys would want him? Of course, most recently we had seen Bagwell and Luger sort of packaged together for WCW. Did anybody think that maybe, Hey, this guy, he's got to be a shit disturber or what was the rap on Bagwell? A lot, you know, a lot of times there, there, Bagwell had a bad rap, first of all. And Vince is, has always been one of those people. He doesn't care what the rap is on somebody that he hasn't dealt with before. Right. Okay. Shane Douglas was someone he had dealt with before. So take him out of that equation when, when I say this. But if there's someone, Randy Savage had the worst reputation in the wrestling business. And Vince took a chance on him. And it was like how he, how Randy dealt with Vince. So Bagwell was somebody that I don't care what his reputation is. I don't care what his rap is. It may have been a bad reputation based on the atmosphere that he was in there. And it's going to be a different atmosphere here. So Vince has, has always been willing to take guys. And yeah, Bagwell had a horrible reputation, but we took a chance on him and you know brought him in. As far as uh, Animal, the attraction was the road warriors and it was the, the tag team. And I don't think that Vince saw a whole lot of value in using Joe as a single. So there was, there was no interest. Plus uh, again, I don't think that animal expressed any desire to come in. So again, it, it works both ways. A lot of these guys, they were happy either getting the hell out and being able to go out and do their indies and do their other stuff or they had contracts that were still paying out when they chose to continue to get the payout on their contract and not work. That goes for Luger, vicious, 
Bigelow, all those guys. Those guys had contracts that were getting paid out. Yeah. Okay. And there, but there was, there was not really any interest in, in Bigelow. Wasn't a whole lot of interest in Sid at that time. Um, it's, well, why, why I think no that interest? he felt there was a lot of rehash there. Okay. I understand. All right. Well, let's get started, man. Um, it, it is an interesting time in the wrestling business because people have sort of talked about these dream matches. What would happen if this guy took on that guy? And a lot of times, you know, those are matches that people still talk about today. I mean, one of those dream matches that people put together all those years ago, or what if sting was to wrestle the undertaker, when you guys first start talking about an invasion angle, are there dream matches that you'd like to put together? What do you remember some of the potential matches looking like when you first discuss it? before, you know, you really have the invasion pay-per-view nailed down. Well, I think again, without all the particulars, you know, the first match that comes to mind was Austin Goldberg and have, have that match up at some point, be able to build to it. Um, same thing with undertaker and sting. It was, there was thinking of, okay, do you do hall and Nash? And do you bring those guys back and put them into the fold? There, there were a lot of what ifs, but it's, it all becomes mental masturbation at that point, because with the exception of Jr., I don't know that there was anyone that had really dealt with Goldberg and, and Goldberg showed zero desire, nil zilch to come in. You know, he had his deal and it was going to be paid out. Um, he didn't want to come in. So the fact that he didn't want to come in, we sure as hell weren't going to go after him. We didn't want anybody that didn't want to be here. So let's talk about, you know, the April 1st, 2001 is the day of WrestleMania 17. And you see a bunch of WCW guys sitting in a luxury box, watching the show at that point, do you guys have a real idea of what you're going to do? Or is it more of, Hey, we don't know what we're going to do, but we're going to do something. So let's just get everybody talk them and stick them in this fucking box. No, we hadn't, we had no idea at all. And the concept of bringing them in they were brought in at the last minute to where vince told us earlier in the week when everything was done it's like okay we we buy them the monday before wrestlemania we buy wcw we make this big to do what are we going to do with them at wrestlemania nothing they're not represented they're not on wrestlemania nothing forget about them let's concentrate on what we have couple days before WrestleMania, what are we doing with the WCW guys? What WCW guys do we have boss? <laughs> and then it was, well, we've got these guys, um, that we signed that are coming over. It's like, do we do a run in? Do they come out in the heart? Do we get them involved in the hardcore match? Do we do this? Do we do that? There was no plan. So we just flew them in and put them in a box. So they had some exposure on the biggest show of the year. But again, you go back to the Monday and Tuesday earlier that week. What do we do with WCW? Nothing. Concentrate on WrestleMania. And that's what we did. Yeah. I mean, I think that's sort of lost in history. You know, a lot of people talk about WrestleMania 17, as I said, one of the biggest and greatest WrestleManias ever, certainly our most requested to cover here on the show, but this like go home edition of Monday night raw is the one where they do 
both shows at the same time, both raw and nitro. I mean, the simulcast happens six days before the biggest WrestleMania ever. And McMahon is holding a meeting in Cleveland for all the guys, let them know that nobody needs to be worried about their jobs. They're going to rebuild WCW and try to create a brand that's equal to the WWF to get a feud ready. And, you know, gates are going to be through the roof. People are going to make more money than ever. And we can finally pay off some of these interpromotional feuds. So it feels like all systems go fast forward to July. Things look a lot different. Uh, we haven't built WCW to be an equal yet. And all of a sudden ECW is in the mix. When was the decision made to add ECW? And is it done because the reality is you don't have all the big star power that you probably need to do it right. Well, that was the reality. When you look at the roster at the end of the day and you're going, okay, WWE side, WCW side, Sean Stasiak, Sean O'Hare, Mike, G Mark Jindrak, Mike Jindrak, Mark Jindrak. There wasn't, there wasn't any star power over there. And in, you know, in the meantime, it's, Booker had, had agreed to come over, but besides Booker T, there wasn't there wasn't any star power. So you s say, okay, whew, WCW invasion. That's not a very very big invasion. That's like um, you got the under the undercard coming in. You got the power plant guys coming in, and nobody cared. And we tried, you know, we tried with the the raw in Seattle and, and we tried the thing with Booker and, and bringing in a WCW announcer and tried Arn Anderson on color and nobody gave a shit. And, and I know everybody said, why didn't you do it a week later in Atlanta? Frankly, it wouldn't have mattered. It didn't matter where we did it. No one gave a shit nationwide on television. Oh, come on. Wasn't about the, they didn't. I'm with you on that, but you guys plan a lot of stuff you know, ahead of time for cities. I mean, if it would have been in Atlanta, it certainly had the potential to be warmer. I'm not saying that it would have, but it had the potential to be a better reaction. It, it sure it, had a potential to be a better reaction, but if it was going to be a good reaction, regardless, it wouldn't have mattered where it was. Well, listen, I, I get that. If you're, if you're over, you're over. I mean, I understand, but I guess what I'm, what I'm driving at is this is what feels like to me the second time we've had a conversation about this today, where it feels like Vince McMahon is a little impatient and that's not normally, you know, a character trait that I would assign to him. Huh. <laughs> you don't know him very well. Well, that's what I wanted to ask is, you know, cause it feels like, you know, there's always a time and now I'm not talking about with the current booking. I'm saying like, you know, never say never pal. I mean. It's, you know, all these guys who leave on bad terms eventually come back. So it feels like he's got to have a great deal of patience for that. But when I suggested patience, you sort of laughed it off. So was it a matter of, I mean, cause that does feel like a Vince McMahon line. If they're not over in Tacoma, they're not over anywhere. What a fucking sentence that is. W w why not do it in Atlanta? Is nobody jumping up and down saying, boss, don't do this. We got one week. Let's give it the best shot we can and wait one fucking week. No, because no one, and frankly, I don't think that anyone thought it would matter. No, I don't think that there was a lot of confidence in the first place. Keep in mind, if we didn't do it then, and 
it didn't get over. It wasn't going to get over in a week. And I don't think we had Scott Hudson. There were so many pieces of scotch tape on that to even get it to Seattle to get it up and get it going that it was like, okay, do it. Let's go. Let's get it done. Let's, let's get it up. Let's get it out there and let's, let's get it done. Um, Vince is extremely impatient and he wants something. He wants it yesterday. So when he wants something, he's going to get it and he's going to have it and he's going to make it work. This just didn't work. It didn't work for a number of reasons. The match was the shits. The The call was the shits. People are turning it off. And again, on you look at the numbers and people are turning it off. It sucked. It was not good. I felt horrible for the performers. I, I felt horrible for everybody. It was the first time Arn Anderson had ever done color commentary. We all understood immediately why he's never done co- color commentary. You know, I'm so glad you brought that up because... And you know, this is going to feel like I'm going to bat for my boy here. And you know what I'm going to hit you with. Why did Kevin Dunn not have any interest in Tony Schiavone? I mean, he, if you're going to talk about a WCW invasion and you really want it to feel like a WCW show, Schiavone should have been a big part of that. In my opinion. I mean, he is the voice of WCW and had been for seemingly decades and now he's out and the dirt sheets would say that this is a. You know, Kevin Dunn has the final call and it looked like it was going to be Mike Tanay and Scott Hudson. Of course, as you said, we get Arn Anderson in the mix too. What is it about Shivani that Kevin Dunn or whoever made the decision didn't dig? It wasn't Kevin Dunn's decision. It was Vince McMahon's decision. I don't know that Tony Shivani was even, uh, available at the time. I don't know what Tony's contract was. The people that we were given, were were today Scott Hudson and Scott Hudson was a was a last minute replacement. So I don't believe that Tony was even available, but I don't know that. I think that a lot of that well, it wasn't Kevin Dunn. It was more Jim Ross and and Vince McMahon at that time doing a lot of that stuff. There we go. That's what I I didn't know that. But now that you've mentioned Jr., that certainly feels like where we would have been because at different times those guys didn't always get along so great, right? I don't know, man. Uh, you know, I think that there was sometimes professional jealousy, yes. but at the same time, look, Jr. put aside a lot of personal feelings and, and I never experienced anything with Jr. where he held anything personally against somebody for a job or bringing them in if they were the right person for the job. So I don't think he would have done that with Tony. I just don't think that Tony was available during that time. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about, uh, and we're sidebarring a lot here, but that's why this topic is so fun. In early April, Meltzer reports that the WWF reached a deal with, and I'm going to butcher the name as a redneck from Alabama, Sakani Inc. to handle the videotape archives and get them ready for a potential video on demand or internet broadcasts. The company will wind up owning 40 years of its own footage, as well as the old WCW slash Crockett library. And of course, ECW. And of course he's denying everywhere that he's going to do a 24 hour wrestling channel, but instead his plan is to digitize the video and it's going to make the footage a lot easier to sort of look through and sort through as opposed to sifting through thousands of hours of tape and film. And he's doing this in 2001 more than a decade before the WWE network. What do you remember about 
this decision to get the help of somebody to get some shit ready for something that we're saying we don't have a plan in, we're crazy like a fox here, are we not? Well, what that was was simply just taking this massive tape library that we had, and all of a sudden there was there was this newfangled shit where you can fit all this footage into like this little disc. I mean, that's what it boils down to, that we were just condensing our tape library, digitizing it, cleaning it up, and being able to access it online. And at this time, there was probably more talk of WWE.com and having that footage accessible there and doing everything through WWE.com, which I guess is essentially where they are now with WWE.com and the network. Well, and you can fire up the network to go see the May 28th, 2001 raw. This is the very first time we see a WCW wrestler appear on raw post purchase and they're in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. So there's only one guy should be, and that's Lance storm. who does a run in and then a thrust kick on Saturn and then Saturn is pinned. Why is Lance storm the right guy to kick off the invasion? I don't know that he was necessarily the right guy to kick off the invasion, but the fact that we were in Calgary, um, and Lance was there in Calgary helped that decision quite a bit. You didn't fly anybody in and he was there and it was easy that that more than anything, but doing the WCW invasion in Atlanta didn't make any sense. Got it. Okay. Right. Um, he didn't need a belt. That's why he wasn't champion. Didn't need it. Didn't Uh, there's, this Him. is so ridiculous. Okay. So let's talk about the decision. Of course, See, y'all, you, you sit there and say it's ridiculous, but yet you've never experienced trying to deal with, with the mind of Vince McMahon. And you're, you're trying to apply logic to an illogical situation. Well, listen, if that's the excuse, let's just fucking cut the tape and end the episode and the series now. Cause we could just say, there's no point in discussing this. Nothing was logical. No, I'm just, I'm just saying that that's, you, you ask why those decisions were made. That's why those decisions were made. Well, goddamn pal. Of course it's gotta be Lance storm. We're in Calgary. Vince, let's make sure we do the WCW invasion in their hometown. You know, where we took, uh, the, the and tried to invade their office and all that. You remember the CNN center? Goddamn. What's wrong with the Booker's Coma, not from Atlanta. It's amazing. Well, okay. But again, using your logic. Neither one of those guys were from Atlanta. I understand that. It's the You're whole... saying say the whole invasion to Atlanta? No, I'm saying the match should have been in Atlanta. Using the same logic, then Lance Storm should have been the first one to come in in, in, in Atlanta. No, that's that's not true. I if I and listen, let me just tell you, if I'm booking the invasion, Lance Storm's not the guy who kicks it off. No disrespect to Lance Storm, big fan of Lance Storm. But to me, when I think of Lance Storm, I don't think, oh man, that guy's got WCW all over him. Okay. Who did? Oh my God. Are you fucking serious right now, Bruce? What? There was only, there was only one to me. There was only one big star in, in the initial deal. And that was Booker T. Well, why not do it with him? If <laughs> wasn't ready for him yet. <laughs> it's not a real answer. It is a real answer. We weren't ready for him yet. You got to build. It, it's you don't you don't start off with your damn main event. Tease him, get him in. Oh my God, it's Lance Storm. Do you realize how dumb what you're saying sounds? 
What? It was Landstorm. What's wrong with Landstorm? Well, you know, it would be like if, you know, 10 years ago, Hey man, we need to tease something with the Indianapolis Colts. Oh, let's send Peyton Manning. Fuck that. Get Jeff Saturday. What? What are you talking about? Like when you think of WCW, I why would you I, do it on Saturday? See, I know I said a sinner's name and you would have no idea who that was, <laughs> but <you're> right. <laughs> my bad, bad analogy for you. <laughs> I'm just saying like Booker T was Mr. WCW, but Lance storm had, had been, had a, had a run in ECW and people knew him from there. And then of course, more people knew him from, don't make that face at me. They knew him from ECW. That's where I first discovered him, but he had been through smoky mountain and Calgary and uh, everywhere, but Booker T He's sort of a Mr. WCW guy. If that's the guy you're going to bring in or DDP or whoever, but in the end, of course, none of that happens. <sighs> the June 18th raw is where DDP makes his debut and he debuts as the stalker of undertaker's then wife, Sarah of all the ways to debut DDP. I mean, he could have slid the ring and diamond cut somebody. But no, we got Lance Storm doing a thrust kick. So instead, three weeks later, he debuts as a stalker for The Undertaker's Wife. Who booked this shit, Bruce? I did. Why did you? This is awful. Why? Why would you even brag about that? I did. You should be ashamed. I did, and, and and it wasn't awful. It was, you know, again, in when you look at you look at a fish tank and go, oh my god, look at that big beautiful fish and. And that fish is huge. And then you throw that fish in the ocean. And you realize, oh, here comes a big bad shark and the big bad shark eats them up. It's, it was a different arena. And in WCW, I think that there were guys that were really great in WCW for that. And then you put them in a different arena and they weren't the same and they didn't fit in as well. I think that that was a case with DDP. Um, bringing DDP in, like he says, oh, well, if you put me in with the rock, then by God, that would have been different. Sure would have been different. I'm sorry, putting you in with the Undertaker. The it's it doesn't get better than that. So you make it what you can, and we made it a personal issue. We really tried hard with it, and and trying to do something different with him. That's it. It's an it's an attempt to introduce a new character. It's an attempt to introduce him to our audience. We we were seeing that. People, uh, again, they weren't responding to WCW characters. Yes, later years they responded to Goldberg, okay? There are exceptions to the rule. But we tried something different. Didn't work. But beyond that, did DDP work in the character that DDP came up with, the motivational speaker and doing all that stuff? Those didn't work either. And I think the DDP coming up had a great run in WCW. It didn't transfer over. That audience didn't come over to, to our product. Our audience stayed with us and they didn't like those guys. So you just don't think Vince McMahon was in your writing team was talented enough to get over DDP. No, I don't think the DDP was talented enough to get over new creative. I think that he was able to do DDP doing DDP. And when you asked him to do something else, he couldn't do it. So why wouldn't you just let him do DDP? What, what got him over? Because I don't think it was going to get over with our audience. See, this is exactly what you did with Goldberg. You know, you brought Goldberg in, you fucked him up and then you bring him in 
Goldberg no. came in and didn't get over. Yeah, because Goldberg, but, did, Goldberg came in and and couldn't get over. He didn't get over because you wrote shit for him. But wrote what, great shit. I'm sorry, coming in and having a program directly with The Rock. No, I understand what you're saying. Shit. It, it's a matter of of I'm knowing how to showcase. Shit is. No, listen. You're gonna have to put down the spin for just a minute here because they brought in Goldberg the second time and he got over like Rover and he didn't the first time. Because you guys I tried to make him something. The he whole wasn't. Goldberg show. I explained why. You had a year. You had a year to do it. And and just the same thing. When you have a guy, what they did with Brock, they knew they had a start date, they had an end date. And they knew what they were gonna do. And it was simple. He's getting he's getting squashed at the end. Well, we didn't have that the first time. We had a year contract. We had to make him for a year. We didn't know what we had. We're not going to spend, have him go through and just destroy all of our guys for a year because, well, that's what he did in WCW. Great. Well, they went out of business. But here's what I'm saying, though. Uh, you're saying we're not going to have him come in and destroy our guys, insinuating, I mean, what sort of unspoken there is, because then he could go somewhere else. Where the fuck is he going to go? There is nowhere else to go. No, my point is, is that he's got to come over. He's got to get over a new ground. He's got to get over with a new audience. DDP again, you know, you go back and say, oh, well, DDP doing DDP would have drawn great. I'm sorry. He was doing DDP and WCW when WCW went out of business. If it was that great, then why didn't it keep him in business? They were doing DDP. Well, yeah, but you could say that about anything. So they were shitty creative too. Well, clearly they went out of business. But it's DDP doing DDP, what you just said we should have done with him. It wasn't working there. Why would it work now? No, because here's the deal. It did work with different bookers, and then it didn't work with you booking. I, here's what I don't understand. Like It didn't it, work with their booking either, him doing it. Yes, it did. I, oh, then I'm sorry. They're still in business doing great? Well, you know, they're in the same amount of business that Paul Bosch is because he was such a shitty booker that they went out of business too. Paul Bosch retired. Well, so did Vince Russo. Okay. Maybe not. <laughs> All right. The, the point is DDP got over and you guys didn't let him come in and just diamond cut motherfuckers, which was what people wanted to see. It would be like, if you said, listen, Steve, I know you got over with that whole middle finger and stunner and beer, but we're going to need you to try something different. See the undertaker over there. Now that's his wife. We're going to pretend like you're obsessed with her, but we don't want you to do all your other shit. We need you to change all that up and go do this. That's fucking dumb. No, it's not dumb. It's creating new. Uh, it's a new storyline. It's a new dimension to your character. You got to change because by the, by the way, to your point, what you were doing in WCW wasn't over anymore. No, I, I'm if not it saying it was over and it was so great. No, hang on now. It. I'm not saying do what Vince McMahon. Yes. You say, you said, bring him in and have him diamond cut everybody. Well, that's what he was doing when he got over at 97, 98, 99. That's not what he was doing. And then they the went out of business. No, they didn't go out of business in 99. That's not what he was doing at the end. My point is, is if it was still overdoing that, they'd still be doing it and he'd still be in business because that was what was working. But but, after a while, it doesn't work anymore. So you brought in Hulk Hogan and Scott Hall and Kevin Nash and gave them the NWO. Why? It wasn't working. And, And they shit on it and it didn't stay very long, did it? My point is, why not try it with DDP here? This feels like somebody somewhere didn't get DDP. So instead they just do something different with him to the contrary. Wanted DDP to succeed. And we wanted to give him an opportunity to come in, not with an old character that had been seen 
and had been done to death and that they weren't buying at the end to bring him in and try a new character with him and give him the best opportunity that we could. Everybody liked DDP. Everybody wanted to see DDP succeed, including The Undertaker, Vince, every one of us. Well, so to even even suggest that oh well bring him in and bury him that, that not no, even I didn't say that I didn't say that but, but no I, you know again you say oh that was a shit idea why it not was. do this a shit idea to 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 go and say oh well no we just want to put shit ideas no we put a lot of thought into it and we felt it was a good idea obviously it didn't work and people didn't buy it but I, I, here's it was, here's at the end of the day these people want to see these dream matches they want to see what they never saw. They want to see DDP and undertaker. Maybe not that they one. Saw DDP and undertaker. I got it. But instead of just doing it based on, we're going to find out who's best. No, it's, I want to fuck your wife. That's silly. DDP and undertaker is a baby face. It's not a match. People want to see who are you going to root for. How would we know? We never found out. You're right. Because nobody wanted to see it. <laughs> got to give them an ad. But again, it's two baby faces. Okay. It's very easy to armchair quarterback versus having to have a, a list of people that you have to write stories for and you have to try and make sense and try and get longevity out of and not just do, well, it worked 10 years ago. Oh, so you tried something that, different and that didn't work either. And you're not willing to accept any criticism either, are you, Eric Bischoff? I accept all the criticism. I just said it was a bad idea. I said it didn't work. Didn't you hear me? I said it didn't work. But I'm saying that we don't go into it. Oh, this is a shitty idea. Let's put DDP in it. I didn't say no you one thought knows it was that. a shitty idea. I'm just You saying, said it was a shitty idea. I, it is a shitty idea, and you admit it. But I'm saying I didn't think you thought at the time it was a shitty idea. I'm saying somebody somewhere didn't get DDP. Let's move on. Let's talk about Booker T. You tried to fuck him up, too, I'm sure. Let's figure out how. Oh, yeah. We fucked Booker T up horribly, didn't we? Well, I mean, he sort of fucked up Steve Austin, King of the Ring, and that's what I want to talk about. King of the Ring in 2001 was a three-way. Benoit, Jericho, and Austin. And what do you know? Booker T pops up. He's both your world and United States champion. And he put Steve Austin through the announce table, and he hurt Austin in the process. Uh, a CT scan would eventually reveal that he broke his L2, L3, and L4 bones in his back. Uh, but fortunately for Austin, as Jim Ross would report in his website, the bones are not quote unquote load bearing. What do you remember about this injury? Because this is probably not the way you want to debut. If you're good old Booker T. I thought he broke his damn hand when he put Steve through the, through the table. I thought it was his hand too, based on your stories, but, uh, your boy JR would report that it was a L2, L3 and L4. I think JR reported for a, uh, entertainment purposes, if you will, sassafras. So when he breaks his hand, you know, what's the locker room etiquette when you break the top guy, the golden goose's hand, your first night in apologize. Say you're sorry, but Booker T Booker T was, was getting out of Dodge and Steve, Steve was gone immediately afterwards as well. So the two didn't have a chance to get together and Booker felt horrible about it. Absolutely horrible about it. Um, Steve was pissed off about it cause Steve got hurt and he, and he was pissed off about it. So the, the infamous story that has been, been told, you know, many times different versions of it and what have you was I get a call from Vince McMahon and, for whatever reason, you know, I, I met Booker for the first time when we did 
the Nitro there in Panama City. So Booker lives in Houston, Texas boy, one of my best friends now. But I didn't know Booker before this. But Booker had uh, had injured Steve, and Vince calls me and says, uh, "You know, damn it, you know, Booker. Booker didn't even come back and apologize. I'm like we got him out of there, and Steve left. You know, there wasn't wasn't a whole lot of time for for them to talk." Says Booker needs to uh, to call Steve and apologize. And by God, if I were Booker, I would be at Steve's room, find out what time his flight is, help him pack his bag and carry his damn bags to the airport. Okay. So Ben's <laughs> like, call him and, and tell him, you know, that's he needs to make it right with Steve. Do you know do you know what he said when he called him? What Booker said? Well, I know what he said. He said, guys, let's talk about sex. Do you remember the days when you were always ready to go? Well, with Blue Chew, that's blue like the color. You can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed. BlueChew.com brings you the world's first chewable with the same FDA approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis. So you know, these things work and since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill. You can be ready any time, day or night. Blue Chew is prescribed online and shipped straight to your door in discreet package. So no more in-person doctor's visits, no more waiting in the pharmacy. And best of all, no more awkwardness. Blue Chew is made right here in the United States and it ships direct. So it's even cheaper than a pharmacy. Right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit bluechew.com and get your first shipment free. Can't believe they're doing this. That promo code to get this free shipment is Wrestle. All you've got to do is pay $5 shipping. Again, that's bluechew.com and the promo code is Wrestle. If you'd like to try it for free, that's B-L-U-E-C-H-E-W.com. And of course, you know how to spell our promo code Wrestle. Blue Chew, the better, cheaper, faster choice. So once Booker dropped the knowledge about how he could give Steve Austin's gimmick, the hot tag with blue chew, what'd they talk about? Booker apologized and Steve was like, Hey, you know, all right, you know, accidents happen, shit happens and so on and so forth. But, but, but going back, hang on, I got to go back to me actually making the phone call to Booker. And I remember saying to Vince, it's like, you know, Hey, you want me to call Booker, new guy in the business and tell him that, you know, he needs to go and pack Steve's bags and carry his bags to the airport. And I remember talking to book and I, Vince has, he's like, oh, hell no. Um, I said, just call Steve, you know, and talk to him. He goes, yeah, give me his number. And they talked and, and everything was fine. And, and Steve was accidents happen. You know, he's pissed off at the moment. He's pissed off for getting injured. And, and that was it. That was the end of it. So everybody moves on and, and you go from there. But it was, it wasn't the issue that it, it was made out to be. And obviously took it and made a story out of it. And that works from there. Well, what we're off to next is a feud, of course, where Booker T and Austin are going to be looking for each other the next night in Madison Square Garden. And on July 2nd, uh, we have the famous match Booker T buff Bagwell on commentary, Scott Hudson, Arn Anderson, and Austin and angle wind up doing a run in and attacking Booker, uh, Keller reported in the torch that the first words out of Vince McMahon's mouth at the post-production meeting were something like 
What was the fucking deal with that match? That was the shits. Now you've told me the story off air that this production meeting had a crazy start time. What can you tell us about the follow-up to that night in Tacoma? Jesus, it, it was horrible. It, it was, I can think of a really bad word to say for it, but it, it was, it was a debacle. It was terrible on every level from the, from the announcers as I said earlier with Scott Hudson and Arn, they, you, you could have prepared them for three weeks and it still would have been bad. It just, there was no chemistry there. Scott was doing his best. He was just trying to get through it. And Arn is a great promo, but a lot of times great promo guys just can't do color. Um, Bagwell and Booker worked many times and we were told by Johnny Ace, Arn Anderson, the WCW guys, what's the best match? What is the best match that will represent WCW? Here's, here's who we have here. If you could book one match that would say, this is WCW's best, what would it be? They came back with Booker and Bagwell. They worked together. There'd be a great match and, and they got great chemistry and so on and so forth. It was, it was just absolutely horrible. And afterwards you did beat down out, out in the back, but you know, it was just another night of this show sucked. What the fuck was that? It, it was not what we expected, not what we were told to expect from them. And bad night, bad night. It, 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 it wasn't, if that was the best, here was saying that was the best which all the WCW guys told us, this is the best. Man, this is going to blow it away. These are the two guys to represent it and, and make it work. And we thought, if that's the best we've got, we're fucked. <sighs> Man. So what changes, you know, at this production meeting, Vince McMahon's going off. He doesn't like... Scott Hudson's appearance, apparently, according to the torch. And they say that he showed up for work wearing a t-shirt and old shoes and McMahon sort of soured. Do you remember a specific conversation about Hudson? You know, it, it, the whole thing just sucked. I don't know that Vince liked any of it. I don't know if he liked his appearance. I, I, I don't remember what the hell Scott was wearing that day, but it was the level of professionalism when you come to work that you come to work looking like a professional. And if that's how Scott showed up, then that's something that Vince would not have liked very much. But on top of that, the just man, it sucked. It sucked. Nothing worked. Apparently McMahon is frustrated with what he's seen and decides to fly all the WCW wrestlers to headquarters for in-ring workouts to let them get acquainted with the rings because the size of the rings, the way the ropes were made, just the construction of the rings were different. And allegedly prior to this workout, Buff Bagwell tried to talk his way out of making this shot. But of course, JR demands it and he shows up. But after the workout, he starts complaining to other WCW wrestlers about having to be there. And his comments are overheard by officials. And at one point, Bagwell mocks Shane Helms, who's in the ring working out. 
And apparently Bagwell was picking on Helms for the number of high spots he uses. This is all directly from the torch. Helms took offense and a verbal argument ensued. Bagwell got upset and punched Helms. Helms fired back by throwing a water bottle at Bagwell and opening a cut up on his head in the process. Moments later, other wrestlers stepped in and broke up the fight. Several sources report that at last week's SmackDown, Bagwell disappeared for over an hour, which also upset WWF officials. And sources say that when Bagwell returned, he was in quote, no condition to perform at Monday's raw. According to one source, the entire crew sat backstage cringe, cringing over buffs in ring performance. So lots of uh, stuff to talk about here with buff Bagwell. What do you remember about this allegation that he was in no condition to perform that crew was in the back cringing at his in ring performance. And then lastly, the whole Shane thing that everybody talks about. Well, the, the report about him being in no condition, that was at the studio and that was when they were all brought in. That wasn't at, at a TV or anything like that. And I heard the story, but it was after, after the performance, everybody started making excuses. So it's, it's the size of the ring. Well, we've got ropes instead of cables. Um, the ring doesn't have the same kind of spring that the, the rings in WCW did They're They're two feet bigger than the WCW rings. It was okay. So we just started taking the excuses away. Okay. Get your asses in here. Uh, start working in our rings. Um, if you're a professional, then you should be able to adapt. The idea was bring in all of those guys and allow them to work in WWE rings. We brought them into the studio and had them all go in and work out and just try and bring them up to speed, get them as comfortable as we could before we were going to put them in matches on television. The rumored innuendo was that uh, Bagwell and Shane Helms got into it, got into an argument um, that Shane took, or not Shane, but Bagwell took a swipe at at Shane and Shane ended the fight. So um, from all the eyewitness accounts that I had heard from there was that basically, you know, Shane beat him up fairly quickly and it was pulled apart fairly quickly. And, and that, to say beat him up, that Shane got the better of Bagwell in the skirmish before everybody was in between them. Um, and that was it. And I think that was kind of the end of, of Bagwell from an attitude feeling, thinking that, good God, he's fighting with his own people. Is this somebody we really want to invest in? He's only been here a short time and already we're having these issues. That's really about all there is to that. There's a famous legend out there that Judy Bagwell called in sick to Jr. on behalf of buff. You, do you remember that? I've heard the story, but you know what? I, I've heard, I've heard buff talk about it. I've heard Jr. talk about it for the life of me. I don't remember that during that time ever hearing anything like that. Um, other than, you know what? Buff isn't fitting in here. And I don't think it's going to be a good fit and I don't think it's going to work. So, uh, Jr. would be the one to speak to that, but I don't know. I was, I was on creative at the time and was told, you know what? We're not going to use buff Bagwell going forward. And just like that, Bagwell was out. Yeah, just like that. It was it was short and sweet and we moved on, didn't look back. Was he ever discussed ever again, to the best of your recollection? 
not to my knowledge. I don't think that he was, I don't think that he ever showed any desire to come back either. Or some guy any desire to use him <laughs> beyond that match. I'll tell you that much. Are some guys too stubborn for their own good? Yes. I mean, it feels like Bagwell had a look that McMahon would have appreciated and some of his, you know, I mean, it's almost like, you know, Chris masters got a mega push there for a little while and buff Bagwell could have been in that spot just as easily, but he, for whatever reason, couldn't get out of his own way a little bit. Bagwell not only had the look, Bagwell had the charisma, had the promo skills, and you know had had a an attitude in a good way in the ring. Right. So he had a presence. But as you say, yeah, he couldn't get out of his own way. I think that that Buff was his own worst enemy at that time, and probably had a higher opinion of himself than other people did. Is there somebody in TNA in your time there who you felt like? probably had a similar situation, just couldn't get out of their own way. Could be a bigger star, but maybe had some sort of self-limiting behavior that maybe they themselves didn't even realize. God, I don't know. It probably applies to a lot of guys off the top of my head. Um, shit. I, I, I don't know. Okay. Let's talk about the meeting Vince McMahon held with a lot of the WCW guys. Allegedly, he goes through backstage. Procedure. Actually, I'm sorry. Go back. James Storm. That's what I thought you were going to say. Yeah. I felt like you had told me his name before and I was teeing it up, but I didn't know if that was a private talk yeah. or if you were willing I, no, to. That, that's, uh, you know, James is, is a talented guy with a great look and a ton of charisma. And I think that every time that James gets a break, there's something that happens that negates it. And I think that if James would just let go and have faith that, he could, he could do a lot more than he has. You, you told me once, uh, we were in mixed company, but you made the statement, James storm is scared of success. Yes. And, and I didn't really get what that meant, but it wasn't my place to have a follow-up question at the time, given the company we were with, but he's a guy who I sort of look at and I think, man, why is he not in the WWE? And I'm not saying that you're there or you're involved in those decisions or anything like that, but in your opinion, you know, can you elaborate on James Storm is scared of success? Well, I think that, uh, that more than anything, every time that he's had the opportunity to go beyond that position that he was at, it, it always, he always just seemed to bite himself in the ass somehow, whether it was fumbling in matches, fumbling in promos, not getting into the best shape of his life. And it would, it would negate going any further with him a lot of times, you know, he was in WC, uh, WCW in NXT for a while. Let me ask though. I mean, we were, we were sort of talking about what I believed and I don't mean to put words in your mouth, but with, with Bagwell, that almost feels like an attitude problem. That's not nearly the same thing you're describing with James storm. I don't think that James has an attitude. Uh, James always had a great attitude right. and, and would always, express a desire to be better and a desire to have it. I just think that sometimes there was an innate quality in him that when he would get to that next level, that something wouldn't allow him to get to the next level because you look at him and I, and I say, I want that guy because he's got a great look and, and he's got charisma out the ass. He can cut a promo and he can go in the ring. But when it's time to turn the heat up, it always seems like he's more comfortable just one step behind. 
Well, I'll tell you what, you're going to be more comfortable. Thanks to our friends at bird dogs. You see bird dogs make gym shorts with a built-in silky soft liner. So you don't have to wear underwear. Underwear can be super uncomfortable. It's like you're shoulder to shoulder in the mosh pit of a band you don't like, or maybe even like shoving a loaf of bread into a Dixie cup, but bird dogs make you feel like you're catching a light breeze, fully nude. And Bruce, you've told me that you like to wear them when you're doing anything, everything or nothing, whether you're sitting on the couch or swimming or whatever. You've even bragged that your pair of bird dogs dry faster than a bathing suit. So why have two shorts do the job of one, right, Bruce? Absolutely. And they are as comfy, 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 baby. And all you got to do is go to birddogs.com, enter promo code Russell, and they're going to throw in a free dad hat. The hats are awesome, and they're basically giving you 50 bucks. That's birddogs.com. You will not take these things off. I promise you I've got a pair. My son's got a pair, and it's kind of like wearing nothing. Yeah, they were a hit in my household too. Uh, I've actually had um, a few of these pair uh, be bragged about in the household. So we'll leave it that at that. You bragging about them going, I feel free. Let's talk about what we're doing next here. We've got Vince McMahon holding a meeting with the talent, and he's discussing backstage protocol and procedure within the WWF. And he's encouraging the WCW talent, you know, go talk to some of our wrestlers, engage with them, fraternize. The torch would report that this was done in response to Stacy Keebler, Sean O'Hare and Chuck Palumbo being sort of unsociable during their first few days with the company. And he also instructs the crew to check on their opponents before leaving arenas, which clearly is something about the Booker T Steve Austin thing. A lot of the WCW guys would comment something like, you know, they didn't like the way Vince was talking down to them. And that's the way they felt they were being handled. Quote, he acted like we were uncultured rednecks. He came off like, what the hell have I bought? What do you remember about this meeting with the WCW talent and maybe the way those guys felt about the meeting? Oh boy. Awkward is, is a word. Um, I think that it was a meeting that should have taken place long before anybody ever even showed up on TV. I think that there was a completely different atmosphere in the WCW locker room. And they didn't, they came from a place where the inmates ran the asylum for so long that there wasn't a lot of structure and there wasn't a lot of accountability from talent, from management, from anything. And the WWE locker room and structure was, was just that it was much more structured. It's even much more structured now. So there wasn't really enough forethought into, we, we thought that, Hey, you know, there, there's just some of the boys are going to come in and it's just another group of guys coming in, new guys coming in. You assume that they, they know what they're doing, but we had gotten a lot of the guys from the power plant and their only exposure to the business for some of them was WCW. And it was during a time that it was kind of hectic and there wasn't a lot of structure, as I said. So they didn't know, they just didn't know any better. Now they're coming into our locker room. They've heard stories. They've heard rumor and innuendo 
they don't necessarily feel welcome. I don't know that anybody went out of their way to welcome them. Um, it was just new guys coming in and for the talent that was already here, I think they were looking at it like the, are these guys coming in to take our spots or, or what's going to happen? There was a lot of unknown. So for our talent, the WWE talent, the WCW talent, which is now our talent, um, we needed, it was, it was like, uh, getting married to someone who has children and the children have to come together and now they have to play nice and, and they, one's checking out the other and, and vice versa. The WCW guys were walking on eggshells, scared of their own shadows. They didn't want to screw up. And there had been a couple of screw ups and they thought, you know, oh shit, man, we're, we're the problem. You know, they're looking at us like we're the problem. And that wasn't the case. It just was a case of new guys. Even little stuff, you know, can be misconstrued. I mean, uh, this is so fascinating about wrestling to me. It's one of those deals where if you don't shake your hand, shake everybody's hands and introduce yourself, then you're an elitist. And if you eat with the same people, like allegedly it makes the dirt sheets that a lot of the WCW guys would sit together in catering until somebody says, oh shit, we're getting heat for doing this. We need to separate and go mingle. But that's sort of common. Is it not? If you walk into a room and a bunch of your buddies are sitting around eating and then there's strangers at other tables, you go sit where your buds are, right? I think so. But again, it was, it was viewed. If you want to pick on something, you can pick on something and you right. can find something wrong with it. And that's, and this is a competitive environment. You know, we can say that Vince McMahon held a meeting and told everybody all their jobs are safe, but realistically this company had had X number of wrestlers for years. And now all of a sudden they've got X plus plus, it does feel like on some level, some of these guys have to worry, is that guy here for my spot? I mean, this is a business where if you're injured, you sort of, you, you kayfabe it. You don't tell anybody because you don't want to lose your spot. So you'd rather risk further injury as to potentially lose your spot or your payday or your livelihood to some other guy who's not injured. So any little thing like this could be used against you if they wanted to, right? Yes. And, and it was like going to starting a new job. The first day of your new job, you don't know anybody and everybody's looking at the new guy. So these were a bunch of new guys. Everybody's looking at them in human nature. I think people are looking at you wanting you to fuck up. They want you to screw up. And that to me is sad. Instead of taking someone and you see him doing something wrong going, Hey man, come here, let me smarten you up a little bit. And maybe you try it this way and help him along versus just sit back and watch him screw up. And go, I <laughs> see the new guy screwed up. And that was sometimes the mentality of just sitting back. And if they're going to screw up, let him screw up. So talk to me a little bit about that creative meeting at Tacoma. Let's circle back because clearly this is the meeting where you guys say we got to pull the trigger on ECW because one week later after that Tacoma raw with Booker T and Buff Bagwell, we get the invasion of Rob Van Dam and Tommy dreamer. They come through the crowd and attack Kane and Chris Jericho during their match with Mike awesome and Lance storm. And then we see the Dudleys, Raven, Taz, Rhino, just incredible. They all seemingly come out to save Kane and Jericho, but instead they join in on the attack and Paul Heyman, who is doing color with Jr. at ringside leaves the table and goes into the ring and cuts an awesome promo and reforms ECW. 
I got to tell you as an ECW Mark, you know, I was loving this. This was one of the coolest moments in raw for a long, long time for me. Was this decided, you know, on the heels of the really shitty showing the week before, or was this planned all along and it just sort of happened this way? Kind of a knee jerk reaction to, we need something and we needed something different. We need, we needed to add to, it wasn't going to, we weren't going to make it on what we had. Right. So the sitting there and you're staring at Paul Heyman and if I may, sir, but I don't even think it was Paul's idea. I don't even remember Paul being all that enthused about relaunching the ECW name in this vein. So it was, we got to do something. And I know Shane was, was big time. Let's, let's throw ECW into the mix. So it's, it's everybody else against WWE that that will, that's what the invasion is. It's not just one group. It's, 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 it's every other group out there, which was ECW, which had already gone out of business and which was WCW that we had just bought. How excited was Paul Heyman to participate in this? And was there anybody who really didn't want to work with Paul on this because of the way ECW, you know, had operated before and maybe everybody wasn't taken care of the way they felt like they should have been. I think that the guys that were coming in on the ECW side, there was a, in the back of their mind, well, Paul, Paul had this planned all along. This was Paul's end game. This is what Paul was doing. You know, uh, he's going to go into uh, WWE is going to be a comedy. He's going to bring us all in. And I wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me if it wasn't Heyman. Here is the plan. I have been working covert operations and I am going to bring you all in now. I know you were a little confused. I couldn't let you know then, but now I can let you all in. <laughs> I'm not saying that's what he did. I'm just saying I wouldn't be surprised if there were a few phone calls that went along that vein. Oh, my. It has been my idea. I have been working on this proposal for over nine months. <laughs> we are about to give birth to the revolution. Now, when he's making this pitch, does he say, and your leader will be one Stephanie McMahon? Because I think a lot of people, me included, as hyped up as we were at the beginning of the show, later in the night, we see five WWF wrestlers, five WCW wrestlers, and they're going to tag up to take on 10 ECW wrestlers. And then, of course, we know what's coming. We get all the McMahons sort of squaring off, Shane celebrating with Heyman. Vince comes out and then Shane introduces the new owner of ECW, Stephanie McMahon, dude, Stephanie McMahon owning ECW who booked this shit. Did it piss you off? Oh, it was the worst. I pissed you off. So that was good. That was the intent was to piss people off. Um, it was the McMahon family breakup. It was the kids breaking off and having their buying their own promotions to do what, you know, tell the story, do what the old man did. And now we're coming in against you. But here's my thing. And I know you're going to shit all over this, but is that necessary here? Yes. It needed as much star power as it is, as it could get. It really needed, it needed it needed more star power. ECW couldn't have gotten over on its own. They needed Stephanie McMahon. 
the invasion needed Stephanie and the invasion needed the invasion needed all the help it could get. I was about to hang the fuck up on you. Uh, so in hindsight, is this the way you would have booked it? I mean, if you had it to do all over again, of course, I know those contract things are going to keep you from bringing in Hogan or Flair, Goldberg or Sting. I get it, but you do have a big chunk of the ECW folks and you're going to put the central storyline to not be interpromotional war with company versus company versus company. It's a McMahon three-way all these years later. That's still the way you would have done it. I frankly wouldn't have done any of it. Um, what would you have done differently? Pretend nothing and nothing's happened. You just know you can't get certain guys because of their contract. What would you have done differently? I would, I would have just taken the, I would have taken the library and I would have introduced, uh, guys just one by one, the ones that we wanted and brought them in, in, into the mix, into the WWE mix and not done the promotional war because the, the company war, you didn't, you didn't have the stalwarts of the company. You didn't have, you didn't have the big names. So without the big names, to me, the invasion wasn't a true invasion. Which is why when we go back an hour, whenever I said it, it was too soon. Should have just waited. And then if, and when you have everybody, go ahead and introduce everybody, but have them be like you said, just guys on the roster and much like you did with ECW. Cause here on the ECW side of the invasion, a lot of these guys are already working with the company, but then when you announce and reveal, Hey, this is an invasion, then Mike awesome and Lance storm aren't just necessarily, you know, WWF guys. They're, they're ECW guys. Yeah. I, again, I don't know that I even would have done that just from the standpoint. I think that the brands themselves would have been dead. I would have focused on building up talent. Well, let's talk about who was not getting built up that night, because this is a busy day. Not only do we have, you know, this ECW reveal that's allegedly the day buff Bagwell gets to the arena and says he's being released. Is that a meeting that Vince has or Jr has? What do you remember about him showing up and him packing up? God, I don't even think I saw him. I think it was, he got there. Jr took him in his office and let him go. I don't even think I saw him that day. And, and again, he was, he was not a part of the plans. It was, we had been told there were no, to be no further plans for buff Bagwell. So I didn't, I didn't even realize that he was showing up. I thought it had already been done. Um, it would be reported by Keller here that the plans to build WCW into a separate touring group were obviously scrapped and a WCW program on Monday night. So raw essentially being a WCW show that's obviously postponed or completely abandoned. And the injection of ECW is a last ditch desperate effort just to salvage this quote. Yet WWF's highest expectations for the angle at this point are much more humble than just a few weeks ago. They're hoping at this point that the invasion angle at least has a one month, nice run. Anything more would just be a bonus. So is that sort of the way you remember the shift being, we go from in the course of just a couple of weeks, we're going to have a touring brand. It's going to be WCW Monday night raw. And now fuck it. Let's get to the pay-per-view. Yes. Yes. And from a creative standpoint, it was just, can we get, can, can we be done with it and move on? 
obviously when you, when you have a change like that, you're not just changing the creative. You're also going to have to change some contracts because if you're not really doing two touring brands, and I mean, I think everybody agrees that was the right call. Probably got too many guys on your roster, right? Cause you, you brought over 24 guys again, they've got 90 day outs, but still you bring them over and now, well, shit, right? Yeah. A little bit of restructure in there. Oh, that sucks. Okay. Let's talk about our, our build up to the invasion pay-per-view. We see Vince tell Austin that he needed the old stone cold to lead the team of the WWF against both WCW and ECW in the 10 man tag match main event. And of course, Austin would always ignore Vince and walk away from him. We also see Austin at a bar drinking and playing pool and the APA complains as they watch video footage of the previous match and Vince enters and asks the team to follow him. Backstage, we see Shane and Stephanie addressing the ECW and WCW wrestlers. And after they talk, Heyman rallies the troop, saying the WWF fears them. And then we see Vince, the APA, and the Undertaker meet with the WWF wrestlers. And Taker interrupts Vince when Vince is saying, We hope Austin can join us. And he says something like, To hell with Austin. Let's talk about the decision to have Freddie Blassie in the room here. He tells the crew there's a time when every man has to fight for what he believes in. He stands up from his wheelchair and tells the guys to stand up for themselves. And Austin is watching this and breaks a pool stick over the pool table and storms out of the bar. Vince McMahon loves him some Freddie Blassie. This had to be his idea, right? Yeah. Cause it was real life. Right. And this is the way that Freddie truly felt. And this was a speech that Fred Blassie believed with his heart and that he gave to guys one-on-one. So to be able to capture that and have Freddie come out and address the locker room to Freddie, it was a shoot to Vince. It was a shoot and it came across that way on camera. Well, you know, what's coming undertaker and Kane beat Dallas page and Rhino about four minutes. in when the WCW guys interfere, um, You've also got the Dudleys involved. Uh, there's tons of, of people in the ring when Austin shows up in his truck and then grabs a tire iron and starts beating dudes up, whether it's Stasiak and Helms or whoever he gets in the ring stunners all around and backstage Lombardi is trying to wheel Blassie out of the building in his wheelchair, but Shane and Stephanie stop him and they mock Blassie for the speech. Uh, this is you know, building towards something pretty fun here. How are you feeling on the heels of this raw when it feels like the, the angle is, you know, getting some traction? Well, it was better than it was a couple of weeks ago. You know, the funny thing is, is Stephanie having to cut that promo on Freddie Blassie. She was in tears immediately afterwards. <laughs> she loved Freddie so much and to have to cut her, cut him down the way that she did. She, she was in tears and I thought that was funny because it, it just was, it was good stuff and you felt it, but it was, man, we were just trying to pull it out of our ass and, and get as much interest as we possibly could. Well, and I guess it's worth mentioning that at WrestleMania 17, famously Austin turned heel, but when he comes back here at the end of the night, he gets a huge baby face reaction. And Keller would report that he absolutely loved it, that whatever fire had been lost in Austin after that heel turn was back that night. 
And a lot of guys in the back said that it's the loudest reaction they remember hearing when Austin comes out with a tire iron at the end of the show, do you guys realize, uh, after the pay-per-view, this motherfucker's a baby face again. Well, I don't know about the word again. I think he was fine. It, it was like, damn it. <laughs> Why are we continuing to try to make him a heel? Right. Um, yeah, man, the, the, the audience, they love, oh God, they loved Austin. They just wanted him to be their guy. So that was, it was kind of just more proof in the pudding that you can tell him he's a heel all you want. They love him. The heat continues. Let's talk about backstage for a minute because Stacy Keebler allegedly gets some hate from the locker room for laying out of some house shows so she could go to the beach. And she even addressed it online. Quote, I had these plans for a while with a bunch of people to go down to the beach last week. And I got the sheet last Tuesday afternoon that I had to work the house shows, but I was supposed to leave the next day to meet my friends. So I was thinking, oh my God, what do I do? They didn't think we were going to be doing house shows at this point. So I talked to Jr. and told him about my prior plans. And he said it was okay because they were going to announce the bra and panties match the following week. And that way we can put you on the house shows the following weekend. So you girls can work together. But some of the guys, of course, think, fuck that. If we got to work, she does too. How much heat was on Keebler for this? I don't know that there was a whole lot of heat. I think it got blown out of proportion big time. And there were probably some guys that were saying just that, but, and and this is where things get blown, blown out of proportion because she had plans and it was different. (laughs) You know, it was a new environment and Jr. told her it was fine. He understood and said, okay, um, we'll move on. But then people tell the story and, make it bigger than it actually was. It was, it wasn't a big deal to anybody else except for probably some guys that were jealous and wanted to make something out of nothing. Uh, let's talk about somebody else that I know you enjoy talking about your boy, Johnny ACE makes the torch. And I think you'll appreciate this observers say that WCW agent Johnny ACE has been quote, so obviously kissing everyone's ass. It's embarrassing end quote. Yet it's working since he's largely well-liked by those within power he's playing up to. Friends of Ace say he realizes the politics in the company could cost him his job, so he is attempting to not rock the boat at all and befriend as many people as possible. Hypothetically, what type of things do you think Johnny was doing to sort of kiss ass? Well, boss, I just want to say that if you could pull those pants down a little bit, I'll get skin on skin. God, your arms are vascular today. I think that uh, Richie might have missed the spot. Can I get some oil on that? You know, Johnny Ace, you say what you will about him, and, and I give Johnny a hard time. I give Johnny a hard time because I feel that uh, there are very few people in this industry who have been in the position that Johnny's been in, and, and that goes for J.J. Uh, Dillon, goes for Pat Patterson, goes for Jim Ross, and it goes for John Laurinaitis. And now I guess that the, the equivalent of that would probably be Mark Carano in the WWE right now. Until you have been in that talent relations spot, you don't judge him till you walked in his shoes. And Johnny worked his ass off, and Johnny was good for that spot because Johnny was very good with detail he did what needed to be done, and he got things done. 
also Johnny was a pretty damn good finish guy as well. So John, while people looked at him as a, as an ass kisser and different things, Johnny was just doing what needed to be done and he was good for the job. So it, it's, it's the toughest job. Everything you do is wrong. Everybody hates you. You've got to fire people. You're the deliverer of bad news. So it's a shit position to be in. And Laurinaitis, I mean, he did it well. He he went in there and he fought, man, and he he did the job. And it's not the most popular job in the world. So as much shit as I like to give Johnny, and I like to give him a lot of shit, I, I feel that I can because we understand we've both been in that position for a long time. Let's talk about a story that came out on OneWrestling.com. Um, it comes out that McMahon had to sort of send out some sort of memo saying, Hey, don't say that Stephanie purchased ECW anymore because ECW is in the middle of a bankruptcy and the court is apparently unaware that the company is using those assets as part of a storyline and they don't really want to get involved with the bankruptcy. What do you remember about that? Because, you know, they still use ECW, but they certainly changed the language a little bit. Well, yeah, we did because the, well, people were taking it seriously and people had, I, that's why when I said earlier, I, I could hear the, the conversations with Paul Heyman. I have been planning this for, you know, I could hear those conversations. I think people, even in ECW, uh, thought that it was real and that it was a shoot that Vince had bought it at that time. And it was during a time that Paul and the company had filed for bankruptcy and they were going through a lot of legal issues. So Paul had represented some things to the company that weren't exactly accurate. What? Um, I know it's hard to believe, but Paul would say, no, I own this or I have that. That's all taken care of when it wouldn't have been. So we, we found out through the courts and through different people, and, and that's where we backed off on how we presented it. I feel like we should mention here that the WWE does go ahead and reach a temporary agreement so they can use the name, and they have to make a deal with the trustee of the bankruptcy courts, of course. And the original offer is $150,000, but they have to increase it. They wind up landing on $250,000, including a $50,000 upfront payment. And now they have permission to use the name, uh, and the contents of the videotapes during this temporary agreement. Um, this feels like something they would have tagged in old Mr. McDivitt for, right? I think Jerry, I think Jerry was involved in this at, at some point, but for a good part of it, it was mainly the, the corporate attorneys in house that were dealing with it and that were dealing with Paul, you know, kind of one-on-one -on -one. and with Paul's attorneys, just trying to siphon through, I know this is going to come as a big shock to you as well. Paul didn't keep really good records either. What? I, I know, I know. Um, Paul's a genius, man. Those people don't, those people don't keep really good records, man. He's kind of off to the next thing too, but it, it was just deciphering and trying to get through, through the mess that was ECW and try to finish something that we had and try to own it on the go home edition of SmackDown on July 19th. We see Shane McMahon lead all the WCW wrestlers to the ring. And then later. Stephanie comes down with Paul Heyman and all the ECW wrestlers, and they all take turns cutting promos about how they've invested all their money 
in the WCW and ECW. And then Heyman takes the mic and accuses Vince of killing his own father by taking the WWF away from him. And on commentary, Ross explains that, uh, Vincent J McMahon died of a heart attack, which is also not true, but it's a story, I guess. Let's get to the invasion pay-per-view. Uh, let's get started with edge and Christian. They beat Lance storm and Mike awesome at 10 minutes and 10 seconds. Keller would say, uh, crowd was totally into it. Solid tag match, two and a half stars. You watched it back this week. What'd you think? I thought it was a damn good tag match. I thought that it was a great way to start the damn thing off. And it just, again, was a great way to display all those guys' talents. Uh, the, the odd man out there was Mike Awesome, but they didn't let him do a whole lot. So it, it I thought it was good. I, I watched it back and I said, oh, okay, those guys are kicking ass. Battle of the referees is next. Earl Hebner and Nick Patrick. I'm sure this is what everybody wanted to see. Mick Foley's a special guest referee, and he's going to give Nick Patrick Mr. Sacco after the match for a mild pop. Meltzer, I'm sorry, Keller would say, okay for a short gimmick match. You watched it for the first time in forever, I'm sure. What did you think? Uh, I was trying to make the button, you know, kind of fast forward. It was god-awful. Um, I guess entertaining and, and just it was it was good ha-ha for a minute, but, oh, uh, boy, a little rough, a little rough to watch. Um, Nick Patrick, why didn't he have a bigger run with you guys? Why wasn't it a fit? Was he too, was he too tall? Was he too big for Vince McMahon's taste? No, no, actually, I, you know, I think it was something that, that happened with the, uh, when we stopped deep South, which his father was a part of the Atlanta developmental territory. I think that something happened with Nick or Nick left to support his dad. And I thought forever, and I've known Nick Patrick forever as well, um, that he was a great referee. He was, he was a big guy, uh, probably was a little too tall, but he was a good referee. And I just think it was something to do with, with his father during the time with deep South. Next up, we've got the APA who beat Sean O'Hare and Chuck Palumbo in six minutes and 48 seconds. Uh, it's a non-title match between the WWF tag champs and the WCW tag champs. Uh, Keller would say solid match. Although O'Hare and Palumbo didn't get a chance to show any signature moves, two stars. So if you're keeping track at home, there's been three matches. The WWF has won all three. What'd you think of this one? APA O'Hare and Palumbo. Uh, solid, but it was, you know, the APA doing what they do. And that was, was gobble people up. And I don't, I know that they really liked, they, they liked both guys. They liked Chuck. They respected Chuck a lot and they got along with Sean because they were big guys. They were stand up guys. And Chuck, if you know, Chuck Palumbo, Chuck Palumbo is one of the nicest people you'd ever meet. There's no way to have heat with Chuck Palumbo. So he got along good with the guys, but Again, watching it back, it wasn't a great match, but it was, it served its purpose. And, and so to, uh, just kind of appease JBL right now, cause I know he listens to the show. Ron Simmons was excellent. Bradshaw sucked. Uh, talk to me about O'Hare and Palumbo. You know, they're coming over as tag champs. Did Vince ever consider either guy a single star? Of course we know eventually. O'Hare gets a shot to do something with Roddy Piper as his manager. And we know Palumbo would go on to tag with Billy Gunn. 
these these two feel like guys Vince would have really dug, but for whatever reason, nothing really ever popped off with them. Both guys, uh, well, uh, three guys, uh, Palumbo, O'Hare, and Jindrak were three guys from the power plant that were young talent from WCW that we really felt had a future. And those were guys that we did see singles in. All right. Jericho assures Vince McMahon here how much he hates WCW and how he'd never associate with Paul Heyman. And then he starts describing how ugly Heyman is. And he laid it on so thick. It's almost insinuating. There's going to be a swerve and a turn. Um, was it ever considered to have Jericho? Cause he had been with all three companies was that ever kicked around. Well, it, the idea was kicked around. Yes, but it was a red herring and Jericho was our red herring to make everybody try to think and put that in their heads because of the thing that you just said, he had worked for both companies and you could easily believe that he would jump. So yeah, this was done to just feed into that a little bit more. Uh, let's talk about the next match. That's Kidman and X-Pac. Um, Kidman actually gets a win, believe it or not. Seven minutes and seven seconds. It's non-title. And we've got the WCW Cruiserweight champ beating the WWF light heavyweight champ. Uh, quote, X-Pac was the only WWF wrestler strongly booed against the WCW slash ECW wrestler all night. Strong match while it lasted, but overall well below the potential for these two. X-Pac for the first time wore long pants with no upper body strap. Kidman wore tights instead of jeans. Three stars. Uh, two of the best. What did you think of the match? Well, first of all, I thought that the match was a damn good match. And second of all, I couldn't stand Billy Kidman in, in the jeans and the wife beater. I, I thought he just looked stupid. I thought he looked like a child. Um, and I thought he looked much better in, in trunks. And it was a damn good match. And it was an opportunity to showcase Billy's talents and get him in there with X-Pac. They complimented each other well. So, I, shit, I thought it was good. I mean, did you change Kidman's gear, or did somebody else have a strong opinion on that? I remember Vince sure as hell didn't want to see him in the je in the jeans at all, and we wanted to see everybody in their in their stuff ahead of time, and that was something that when everybody came in, we wanted to see what they were going to look like. So you have a problem? Do you think Vince McMahon has a problem with jean shorts? Kidman in jean shorts and uh, the wife beater, yeah. But it's fine if it's. What the hell was the look? I mean, what was the look? Yeah. But if it's jean shorts and like a throwback Mitchell and, and, and shirt. And knee braces, yes, that looks cool. Okay. So t shirt and knee braces, or just like an old school jersey and a flat bill, either one of those are good. What the hell is a flat bill? It's a baseball cap that the, the kids are wearing these days. Not okay. the old man grandpa Kid ones you wear. I like my hat. Yeah. So do the elderly. Well, okay. So, they need uh, hats too. I'm sorry. What now? <laughs> I said they need hats too. Billy Kidman has benefited by the change of scenery. This is written by Wade Keller, but was held by a good performance by X-Pac. The WWF ought to send X-Pac to Japan or somewhere until the fans actually miss him. He gets that. We're sick of that guy. Heat. We've never really talked about that here on the show, or if we have, it's been a while. The term X-Pac heat was a thing where it's almost like, I think fans would call it go away heat. I don't really get that. Where does that come from? 
I don't get it with X-Pac because I thought he always busted his ass and was always performed. He never got a lazy match out of him. So I think it was just more of a feeling that he was tagging along on other people's uh, coattails. And that was a feeling, but at the same time, his work was better than whoever he was allegedly tagging along with. That's my point. I I think that he always held up his end. He always went out there and busted his ass. And I thought he was a hell of a performer. And for me, I took a lot of it as heat heat, which a lot of guys couldn't get. Here's one of those things that don't age. Well, Stacy Keebler and Tori Wilson are shown talking about their match and Tori caresses her breasts and said, it's a shame. The fans will have to settle for seeing Trish and Lita stripped instead. Tori talked about her long legs and said the only way they could look better is if they were naked and they say they're going to give a private showing to the Hardys because quote, we know they want us. And then Tori then touched Stacy and said, she is right about her firm ass. Who wrote this? If only they had chocolate titties. Dude, this is what the fuck? Oh my God. <laughs> I mean, were you the agent for this? Because this No, was- no, I wasn't. I, I will tell you this though, when when we went down, Shane, Jerry Briscoe, and myself went to Panama City for the first nitro, I remember talking to Vince midway through the day. And he says, what does the talent look like? And Briscoe and I both at the same time said, we need Stacy Keebler. <laughs> and that was it. So Stacy was a beautiful young lady, man. She, she set herself apart from everybody else. Uh, Raven beat William Regal and, uh, six minutes and 35 seconds. And it's a pretty innovative regal style combination used here. According to Wade Keller, he says it sometimes fell apart and look awkward and forced at times because their styles didn't seem to mesh, but it was never boring. Taz would interfere to help Raven win. Wade gave it a star and three quarters. What'd you think? Well, okay. But here's the thing. It was meant to be awkward. It wasn't, you know, right. I, I get with the, Oh, this was weird. They, it was meant to be awkward. It was telling the story of Raven, a hardcore guy and the story of William Regal, who's a wrestlers, you know, Queens, English, you know, English old timey wrestler. It was meant to be that way. And I thought that it told that story perfectly. Vince gives Kane, uh, Undertaker, and Sarah a pep talk backstage, and Taker grabs Vince by the throat, throws him against the wall, and says, This night belongs to him. And Vince regains his composure, smiles, and says he's happy that Taker's so motivated. Meanwhile, Booker T and Shane McMahon are working each other into a frenzy, and Regal is giving a pep talk to Tajiri. We see Sean Stasiak team with Hugh Morris and Chris Canyon next to take on Big Show, Billy Gunn. And Albert, um, Morris would pin gun here and Wade Keller sort of sums it up forgettable. And the crowd was disinterested one star. This is, this is a match. That's like a lame duck deal here, right? <laughs> yeah. Brutal and doesn't hold up at all. Yeah. It was, it was more than brutal, but it, it was not good. And it's one of those where you put a bunch of people into a match because you need some time and you got all these spare guys. So put them in a match. 
uh, backstage, we see Rob Van Dam blindside Jeff Hardy with a chair shot. And this now gives an excuse for Hardy to lose, I guess. Uh, Tajiri is going to pin Taz after five and a half minutes after spraying the mist in his face. Keller would write fun match stiff at times. Tajiri getting a win over Taz, two and a half stars. Man. Doesn't seem Damn like good a, match too. Well, but I mean, Taz has been presented as a monster in ECW for many years, and he probably squashed a Jerry in ECW 3000 times. It says a lot about where Taz is in his run as an in-ring wrestler. Does it not? Well, I don't know about that, but it was, I think predictable. What you just said, people think that Taz is going to go out there and dominate him. And to Jerry was one of the most entertaining things in the package with William Regal that we had going as well. So people were really behind to Jerry as well. So it made sense. It's not being predictable, but I thought it was a damn good match. Um, let's talk about the next one because we've got Rob Van Dam and Jeff Hardy. But before we get there, we see Vince giving Kurt angle, a pep talk and angle interrupts him. And tells him to get off the American rah-rah bullshit. He's going to win tonight for me. And this is a fun promo that's showing maybe a different side of Kurt Angle. I don't know why, but this promo stood out. When you watched it back, what'd you think? Well, it was trying to, it was trying to paint the picture too of the WWE guys more or less being individuals and not being on the team and that the WW or the WCW and the ECW too many alphabet soups here that they were more of a team at the time and they were getting together and they were being raw raw working together but yet the guys on the WWE side were more about me Taker it's about me Kurt it's about me Austin it's about me so it was trying to paint that picture of a lot of individuals versus a team. Rob Van Dam's pay-per-view debut is next. He's going to beat Jeff Hardy in 12 minutes and 40 seconds and become the hardcore champion. He uses the hardcore belt itself as a weapon followed by the five-star splash and Keller would write too short to be a match of the year candidate, but full of nice spots yet. They saved a lot for later four stars, pretty outstanding match. I really enjoyed it. And Rob has even said that he thought the match was fun and that he wasn't compromised at the time. And they had a long time. I could do most of what he would normally do in one of his ECW matches where he really just got to do whatever he wanted. But in the end, what really matters is what Vince thought. You were probably near Vince when this match was going down. What did Vince think of this match that a lot of us really enjoyed? Well, as far as I remember, Vince liked it. It was a damn good match because they beat the shit out of each other. And it was solid, most of all, believable. And I think that that was one of the things that that you can say about that match. It was believable, it was solid, and it got the crowd. So it was was good. And best of my recollection, Vince liked the damn thing. Keller said what stood out most about Van Damme here is his self-confidence. He was brash and self-assured, something that even the most seasoned of the WCW imports haven't been able to muster since debuting on the WWE roster. Is that fair to say? Uh, I would say that's fair to say. I think that especially the WCW guys were so young and insecure in general. So, yeah, they were all walking on eggshells. I don't think Rob gave a shit. Trish and Lita beat Stacy and Tori in five minutes and three seconds in a bra and panties match quote, not embarrassing with enough titillation to satisfy the crowd. 
Of course, Mick Foley was the ref. Trish is still relatively new in her wrestling career at this point. And, um, they're trying to build a storyline here for Tori and Stacy with the Hardys. And they're sort of teasing that Lita is with Matt and that could cause some sort of friction if Trish and Jeff were to have a relationship and somehow Stacy and Tori were in the mix. What'd you think of this? Boy, Tori and Stacy were just greener than grass. But roll, but roll tide, roll tide. Oh God, all of them are beautiful. Yes, but whereas Trish was was working and learning to get better every single day, and I think Lita was was there as well. So you had two two girls that had a lot of working experience against two girls. I don't think Stacy had done really anything in the bump arena. And the same thing with Tori. They, they hadn't done any of that stuff. So it was really, really new to them. And they were learning kind of on-the-job training and just learning as they go. And they didn't sign up for it either. I mean, they, they weren't, when they came in, they, they weren't coming in to be wrestlers. And they tried and they busted their ass and they got out there and they, they learned. They got to the buildings early and they worked out and they did the best that they could. Um, but I just forgot about how damn green they were. Let's talk about, and I think this is, um, maybe one of the highlights. We get another pep talk with Stephanie Heyman and Shane. And then we see Steve Austin, um, telling Vince, he doesn't want a pep rally. He wants to kick ass. But in this segment, I thought it was kind of cool to see a glimpse of one of those Paul Heyman pep talks we've heard about over the years. What'd you think of the skit? And have you heard Vince? Or not Vince. Paul, do one of these in real life. I don't know that I was ever there when Paul did one in real life. I, I saw the one in, in the movie where it is us against them. It is us together united as one in a front to destroy our enemy and make no mistake about it, sir. They are our enemy and we will prevail if some must die for others to live, then we shall lay our lives upon the line, my good sir. Yeah, just kind of stuff like that that Paul could do. And if Paul Hamer were here right now, I said, Paul, inspire me. He would just go off without even thinking about it. I mean, the guy has a talent for it, you have to admit. No mistake about it, man. Some bitch can talk. Well, it's time to uh, stop the talking. It's time for the action, the main event. It's what we've all been waiting for. The dream match is finally here. It's WCW and ECW taking on the WWF. The WWF is represented by Steve Austin, Kurt Angle, The Undertaker, Kane, and Chris Jericho. Hall of Famers all the way through. And challenging them, Booker T, Dallas Page, The Dudleys, and Rhino. To be sure, all former world champions are Hall of Famers on both sides but still does feel a little lopsided to me, but the Alliance gets the win. When Booker pins Kurt angle after 29 minutes and five seconds, Keller would say, okay, action without anything spectacular in the end, Austin attacked angle as he had Booker in an ankle lock, but then put Booker on angle for the win two and three quarter stars. What do you think of this? I thought it was a hodgepodge. It's <laughs> really I also um, wasn't in favor of sending Steve to the other side. Yeah. I didn't think it's logical. You know, you had that big reaction. It's just weird because he gets this huge babyface reaction after he's turned heel. 
and it feels like, you know, a lot of people are watching raw these days and they're saying, damn it. Why won't they turn? Why won't they turn Roman reigns? And I don't want to get on a sidebar here, but it feels like this is one of those examples where when Vince is like, damn it, they're not doing what I want them to. I'll show them. So he makes him a bad guy again. Yeah. And they didn't want it. They, they didn't want it. Steve made the most out of it on the backside, but still it was an uphill battle. It was an uphill battle that, that we were fighting every step of the way. Um, aside from him walking out, is this the biggest misstep of Austin's career? Do you think the heel turn after 17? Cause it does feel like he loses a little bit of momentum and doesn't get it back. And whatever reaction he had on the buildup for invasion here, it's lost again on this night, right? Well, the way that it was executed. Yes. Had it been executed the way that it was originally pitched. Let's hear that. And huh? Let's hear that. Well, the original pitch was for Steve to turn heel and Hunter to turn babyface, and for Hunter to chase Steve as a babyface uh, with Steve as the champion. So and when they wanted to do the two-man power trip and just beat everybody, um, to me, that's what kind of stagnated it a little bit. If, if there had been a fresh new babyface to go after Steve, then... I think that it, it would have meant a little bit more. And, and Hunter was red hot at that time. So it was, and then you give, you give them back their red hot baby face that they've been clamoring for in stone cold, Steve Austin. And they're happy and they're, Oh my God. Yes. Finally, I've got something to believe in again. <gasps> what the fuck? And that was the reaction. So I, I think that the, you know, and really, we didn't turn him babyface. The audience was just happy that he was on the right side for them, and they were happy to cheer him again. And then you take it away from him. Yeah, I, I didn't think it was. I didn't like it. Put it that way. Keller would say of the show, the pay-per-view was never boring, but not one undercard match had a strong storyline or even a passionate, focused interview leading into it. This was a mildly entertaining show 95% of the time and the dazzling and emotional riveting 5% of the time. That's enough for a mild thumbs up, but the WWF should strive for more. You watched it this week for the first time in a long, long time. What'd you think? I hate to say, I almost agree with it because there wasn't enough with the exception of the last match. There just wasn't, there wasn't enough us against them. I didn't feel that. Right. I didn't feel that deep down. Oh my God, one side has to win. It was more about the personalities in the matches versus us against them, which was the theme of the whole night. Do you think that some of that us versus them being removed is because you made it like everything else when it became a McMahon show? I think, no, I think that really what happened was is we had basically given up on the, you know, the whole WCW experiment and in a second brand that it was like, okay, let's cut bait. Then it was at the last minute. The only way for this to succeed is if we put everything behind it. And if you put Austin on that side, then they have a chance. I think it was just dead in the water. Let me ask you something. It feels like you know, and this is, this is a negative thing to say, and I don't, you know, I don't like 
to be negative, but it does feel like Vince McMahon is a guy where if it's not his idea, sometimes he doesn't like it. And this feels like one of those instances. And I know I just referenced it a minute ago and I don't mean to keep going back to it, but the whole Roman Reigns thing, it feels like they don't know what they want. Damn it. He's a baby face. And he just keeps on. But here it feels like he's sort of doing that with the Austin thing. And it's just easier to sort of flippantly say, oh, well, this WCW shit wasn't ours and these aren't our fans and it's not over. Let's just scrap it. As opposed to a Roman Reigns thing, which some people would say is not over. I disagree. I'm not having an argument about whether or not Roman's over. I'm just saying some people would look at that instance and say, he's not going to give up on that one because it's his idea. But when it's a WCW guy or a WCW angle, well, fuck it. It wasn't over. Let's do something else. I told you these guys were the shits. No, because he didn't think they were the shits, um, ahead of time. And he, he really thought that the brands, I think everybody got fooled and, and one day we'll get into it. Um, as far as ratings and, and everything and, and the illusion of the Monday night ratings and the Monday night audience, I think that the the overall audience was not that eight or 10 million that everybody likes to fantasize about. I think that the core audience was about a 4 million, 4 million point in there that, that sampled both shows back and forth enough that it registered on both. Well, hang on now. You don't really mean four. You mean probably like six. I mean, there was a, either way, not eight. We agree that the highest of high and, and some people would say, Oh, there's 12 million people. No, they're yeah. fucking not. I mean, People were, I mean, I was going back and forth. I'm being counted twice. That's, that's what I think happened. Yeah. And I, and I also, you know, I mean, I won't even get into the whole Nielsen ratings and what a sham I think it is in general, but I just think that there, there is, there's an illusion out there that there was this massive audience that all disappeared after the, but that illusion is sometimes fed into by you. I mean, earlier you said our audience didn't know who they were. They didn't care who they were. But at the same time, you're saying, well, I mean, it was really just the same people watching both shows. No, what I'm saying. No, I'm saying two different things. You're putting words in my mouth. Now I'm going to play Eric Bischoff. Damn it. No. <laughs> oh, then just, <laughs> just watch table for three. Just, and I just think say I don't about- recall. Just say I don't yeah. recall. And you're halfway there. No, no. You will know this. You know what Eric hates the most? Is when you interrupt him. Oh, and I do it on purpose now. Well, if if you saw the raw footage of Table for Three, I was interrupting him on purpose, like every time he would open his mouth. So at the end there, there's especially when I when I hit him with the oh well the Eric Bischoff spin. So anyway, just going back to it, I, there was an audience when they say, well, it dropped off to this huge amount. What I think happened is the people that were sampling, you know, both feeding into the both, both numbers. I just think that it just settled and there was an audience that only watched WCW, a small audience that only watched WCW and they went away. But I think that the people that only watched WWE didn't give a shit. Now they didn't give a shit about WCW. They weren't, they weren't sampling both. I don't know. It, it just wasn't. Look, it didn't work. It didn't work. The The business is talent-driven. The business is larger-than-life character-driven. 
and we didn't have the larger than life characters. The larger than life characters were on our side and we had to create something to make people care. That's all. Well, let's get to some questions because we've got a lot of them, but I feel like before we do, we should let you know that next week we're covering vengeance 2003. So if you've got a question for vengeance, 2003, we want you to go ask it and you can ask it on Twitter or on Facebook. Uh, the, this card is memorable for a lot of things, but maybe the best part is Mr. McMahon and Zach Gallon in a singles match. We've also got undertaker and John Cena, Sable and Stephanie McMahon, Haas and Benjamin against Kidman and Mysterio. We got Bradshaw last eliminating brother love in the APA invitational barroom brawl. So go ahead and ask me now, did I have a problem with doing the job? Yes, I did. I should have gone over Jamie Noble with Nydia taking on Billy Gunn and Tori Wilson. Eddie Guerrero is going to be in action with Chris Benoit. And then in your main event, it's a three-way Kurt Angle, Brock Lesnar, and Big Show. Uh, it all happened on July 27th, 2003, and you'll be able to enjoy it on July 27th, 2003, unless you're supporting us on Patreon, Bruce, we rolled out Patreon and it's already been a hit. We've started feeding some bonus content there at patreon.com forward slash something to wrestle. And you're going to get this episode early and ad free. Uh, tell everybody else what they need to know about patreon.com forward slash something to wrestle. Well, not only that, several different levels that you can go to, but also on that for this show, I'm here in the Sam Roberts studio and we're actually videotaping me uh, on this side. So you're going to get that. And I just did a whole bunch of stuff with Sam earlier on, uh, a lot of extra added content that you're just not going to get anywhere else. It's uh, me being silly. I, I did my ride through Manhattan today in, in an Uber with mock head. That was the driver's name. His name was mock head and uh, he wouldn't talk to me when he was on camera but uh just a lot of fun stuff over at patreon and i'm having a blast with it check it out patreon.com forward slash something to wrestle it's only nine bucks a month to get you started uh, and there's lots of different fun stuff where you can come hang out for a whole something to wrestle weekend here in huntsville you get free tickets to some of our live shows uh, some exclusive merchandise to skype with bruce Lots of bonus content. Go check it out. Patreon.com forward slash something to wrestle. Bruce, let's get to some questions. Are you ready? I'm ready. Trav wants to know, since we had to have a referee match, was there any integral talk about bringing in Tony Schiavone and Mike Tanay for the angle to get some sort of announcer match versus JR and Cole? Absolutely not. It's amazing to me that you're mocking that, but you're like, let's get Hebner and Patrick in there. That's what they want. Uh, no, I didn't like that either. Who booked that? Who can we pin the blame on for a referee match? Oh boy. Um, that's a good question. <laughs> you know what? Just cause it'll, it'll get him to call me Brian Gwertz. Let's put the blame on Brian. Fuck hey, it. Yeah. Fuck you, Brian. Fuck uh, you, Brian. <laughs> Dan He's such a nice guy. It feels weird. To I know. I love that. Brian, but, but this way I know I'll at least get a call from him. Yeah. Hey, you know, that wasn't my idea or. Hey, I thought it was a good idea. I don't know why you guys are making fun of it. Fuck you, Bruce. You liked it at the time. Dan Russell says if the WCW guys would have come out of boxes, wouldn't they have gotten over more? A lot more than they did coming out the way they did. George Jones wants to know, were there any other matches planned that did not happen? No, there, there weren't, uh, 
we just got, you know, once we got the ECW involved, man, we just tried to <laughs> tried to load it up and throw a bunch of shit against the wall. Craig Morrison basically has the same type of questioning that I had about DDP, but he mentioned something that DDP has talked about a lot where he wanted to come in as the real people's champion and do something with the rock. Instead, he's put with the undertaker. That doesn't feel like second fiddle to me. I mean, you're programmed with the undertaker. I don't know how you can go much higher than that, but was, was there ever even a discussion about a real people's champ feud with the rock and DDP? No, there wasn't. Vince had no desire in, in that character from WCW. Uh, Jake wants to know how the hell did you guys manage to screw up something? The fans have been wanting to see for decades. And what's that? The invasion angle, the dream matches. We gave you what we had. I know it's just, it's fun to pile on. Andre wants to know why was Jim Ross burying Booker T so bad on commentary? It seemingly was only directed at Booker as while DDP was portrayed as a creep, he was still built up by Ross as a threat and storyline, but Ross seemingly did everything he could to point out that Booker was nowhere in stone cold undertaker angles league. It seemed excessive, even within the context of the storyline as Booker T was both world champion and United States champion. I think it was just, it was all storyline and it was JR being a WWE guy. Uh, Brian wants to know why Rhino and not Raven Raven was a bigger name in ECW and a made name in WCW. So how does Rhino get the spot and Raven does not. That's a good question. I never thought about that one. Raven had a spot with, with Regal. So, I mean, it's six and one half dozen. The other, I think that some no, people made listen, the argument. Listen, what, Rhino was an ECW champion. Yeah, that's what, but come on. Okay. Well, I'm sorry. I'll argue that one with you all no, day no, you on Sunday. Six and one, half a dozen. The other, it's not the same working, you know, third match on the card against Regal as the main event. That's not six and one half dozen. Another. Well, uh, no, you're asking about why they got that spot in there again. You got your choice between Rhino and Raven and who's going to be able to work better with all those guys. And I would argue it's going to be Rhino. Shane McDermott says during this period, Vince was in a lot of hilarious and arguably some of the best backstage segments. Did Bruce produce these? And if so, what did he think of them? <laughs> yeah, I produced most of them. I, you know, I always loved working with Vince and I always loved working with, with Austin from the standpoint of we had an outline, we had an idea of what we wanted, but nothing was written and we could create on the spot. So that's why I always like working with those guys. And as a producer, I'm not, I'm not a great writer. I don't like to, to write dialogue for other people. I like to produce, I like to produce it and I like to direct it. So whenever you have an idea and then you get to create it, that's what I like best. And the stuff that we did with Vince, a lot of that was just done on the spot at the time, uh, impromptu. Uh, Ryan Andrews wants to know why did the WWE not use the LWO to bring in Hispanic viewers? Did the LWO bring in Hispanic viewers? I have no idea. So it was never considered. You just thought, let's put them on lawnmowers instead. That was the Mexicals. That wasn't the LWO. No, which by I'm, the way, I'm, that, which by the way, uh, I believe that was their idea. No, well, listen, I'm, I'm not debating that. I'm just saying the LWO, while it may have been a gimmick and it may have been a little hokey. Uh, it's probably not as bad as, you know, 
having them come in on fucking lawnmowers. Well, the in the LWO, the LWO would have been something that you know would have had Eddie Guerrero in it, and I don't think Eddie was Eddie not even a part of the company at this time, and it just wasn't. It wasn't thought of, no. Yeah. I mean, they didn't have a spot on the card. You had to get Nick Patrick out there, man. Yes. Um, was there any communication with Bret Hart and or Randy Savage about trying to mend fences with the buyout? Now, of course, Bret Hart, not able to wrestle here, but he certainly could have been a mouthpiece, but I know they weren't really on speaking terms. Was there even a uh, an idea pitched about either one of these guys? Nope, not at all. Neil Gannon. Uh, okay, that's fine. Uh, yeah, no, there there wasn't, and and I think that I think Brett was still getting paid out on his contract too, though. Uh, Neil wants to know who put together the video packages for Invasion. They're some of the best ones I've ever seen. The WWE production team. I don't know if this is during the time that uh, Panucci was was starting to make his mark as is a production king, but. Uh, <laughs> they're gonna love that one. Uh, <laughs> But I, I, I it was the production team there, Adam Panucci and a lot of those guys. Uh, Jason wants to know, Bruce, in retrospect, which WCW superstar do you think could have made the WCW angle work if said superstar would have been available at the time? Goldberg. Andrew wants to know, why didn't Vince bring in former WCW champion David Arquette? Oh, we tried, but he, he was busy. He was still getting paid out on his contract too. I, I love you for just going with the company <laughs> line, you know, serious business. It does feel like something Vince could have had fun with, you know, you tease that that's a former world champion and blah, blah, blah. Ah. And, and then he comes out instead and the crowd's like, oh, what the shit we so, talked about it. Okay. Why Not during, I don't think during this time but we talked about David Arquette during different times. Yes. Why didn't it ever happen? Cause I mean, obviously as a passion for business, he just came back over the weekend wrestling a match out in California and rumor and innuendo is he's even going to be at Starcast. I think that more than anything was scheduling conflicts when we would pitch it. But Arquette was a huge fan. I think he's done raw before. Um Arquette was a huge fan and, and always willing to talk about stuff, but more than anything, the few times that it was pitched was a scheduling conflict on his part. Kenny O'Sale writes, Dave Meltzer and his snark buddy, Brian Alvarez, I had a version of the wrestling observer live on the internet at the time. And they would constantly criticize WWE for not paying for the WCW superstars under good AOL time Warner contracts. What would you like to say to Meltzer and Alvarez for their criticisms on not signing certain talent? And would it have even made that much of a difference? Hypothetically speaking. Well, first of all, fuck Dave Meltzer. And you know what? Fuck, uh, what's the other guy's name? Brian Alvarez. Um, Here's the thing that I don't understand about that too. Like, first of all, I haven't gone back and listened to wrestling observer live from back then. So I probably shouldn't have even read this question, but I did want to bring it up because I feel like a lot of people say, well, why don't you just buy it out? Well, here's why you don't buy it out. Because a lot of those guys, like if you had the option of, I'm going to go to work and make money, or I'm going to sit at the house and make the same money or maybe better, better. Why, why would you not just sit at home and make? the same or better money. Like I understand some people like DDP and Booker T just want to be in the game and Lord bless them. They entertained us and thank you. But at the same time, if I've got that option, I can sit at the house and collect a check. I'm staying home here. Here you are. You're Kevin Nash and you're feeling it. You're feeling your body, man. You're feeling your knees and I'm getting a check every week based on a contract that I signed with the company that is honoring it. 
why not stay out of the game? And hopefully when my contract is done and I've been all paid out, I use this time, I get jacked, I work out, I let my body heal. And then I come back and hopefully I'll mean more than I did before. And by the way, when you come back, you won't come back with 30 other guys. You come back by yourself. In a it, exactly. Spot. Yeah. Uh, Nick Collins wants to know why doesn't WWE try to bring back WCW now in a similar way to the way they tried with ECW in 2006. Do you think it ever could happen? I don't. And it's funny when you look at WCW, how long was WCW in business? I think that TNA was in business longer than WCW. No, they were. Yeah. Are, I am, is, you know, really they weren't in business that long. Made a lot. Hey man, they changed the business. Eric Bischoff. And I set it on table for three changed the business, but it wasn't as long as you think. James wants to know if money was no option, how would you have booked the NWO flair Goldberg, etc.? If money was no option, that's fun to fantasy book. Let's pretend you're a fan for a minute. Uh, but in the meantime, I want to tell you about bird dogs because they're the gym shorts with that built in silky soft liner. So you don't have to wear underwear and Bruce hates wearing underwear because they're super uncomfortable. It's like your shoulder to shoulder in the mosh pit of a band you don't like, but now with bird dog, Bruce feels like he's catching a light breeze and fully nude. And that's the visual you wanted a naked Bruce go to birddog.com. That's birddogs.com and enter promo code wrestle. And they'll even throw in a free dad hat. The hats are awesome. These dudes are basically giving you like 50 bucks. That's birddogs.com. You will not take these things off. I promise you. And I hope Bruce doesn't because we don't need Bruce nude birddogs.com. You're not in the creative. You're not involved. Money's no issue. Contracts aren't a thing. Injuries aren't a thing. Give me like three dream matches that you would have put together. Hogan rock, which we eventually got to Goldberg and Austin and sting and uh, undertaker. Okay. Those are your top. Those are your top three. I think dream matches, you know, federation against federation. Uh, Jay wants to know why did Mike awesome not catch on? You know, it's interesting. I had this conversation with the guys at MLW last week. First of all, I think that Mike Awesome looked awesome and was a big guy in ECW. But Mike wasn't that big. Mike was probably about 6'2". And when you put him in in a world of giants and you put him up against guys like Undertaker and Big Show and, and really big guys, all of a sudden he wasn't that big. But Mike had a lot of success in... Japan, Mike had success in limited success in ECW, but his personality for whatever reason just never really connected with the audience. I don't know that it connected in in WCW the short time that he was there. It certainly didn't in WWE. I think Mike is was just a really shy guy and had a hard time with promos. Christopher wants to know where would this rank in Bruce's top 5 of the most disappointing angles of all time? It's up at the top because it was something that never really got realized. And we, it, it was, you know, starting out, out and we didn't have the ammunition to really be able to make the kind of impact that we should have been able to make. And I don't think that we should have pulled the trigger 
we should have just gone on and said, okay, we bought it. We got the library and, and said next, but that's hindsight. Well, we're going to say next, next week, and I'm excited to bring it to you. Vengeance 2003, Bruce, I got to tell you, man, I had fun with this episode. One of our most requested ones. I'm looking forward to August and uh, we're going to have a poll up. We're going to be kicking an old school over on Patreon. You're going to help us shape August. So if you haven't already hit us up on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash something to wrestle. We're going to throw the poll up there and let you guys help us fill out August. And it should be a pretty fun opportunity to examine some old school shows. Is there anything in particular you'd like to cover? One of the shows I'd like to cover SummerSlam 98. I was going to say SummerSlam 88 and SummerSlam 98, right? And we got to find a way to fit both of those into August and then maybe a couple more sprinkles on top. Anything in particular you'd like to hit? Hmm. Yeah, I got to think about it some more. I, I, I got to tell you, though, that my, my favorite is still going to be SummerSlam 88. And I know you want 98, and that's one that, that's probably going to win. But uh, I'd, love to, I'd love to hear what our audience wants to hear about. Well, we're also going to be bringing you two bonus episodes later this month. So you're going to get tons of content over at patreon.com forward slash something to wrestle. What we're doing is we get our top tier, our top fiber, and we say, Hey man, what do you want us to talk about? And then we're going to go ahead and watch that show and you guys get to watch along with us and enjoy the fun. So go check it out, man. Patreon.com forward slash something to wrestle. He is at Bruce Pritchard. I am at, Hey, Hey, it's Conrad. And we are out of time. Head on over to BrucePritchard.com. Grab your tickets to come see us. We're coming to England. We're coming to North Carolina. We're coming to Arizona. But first, we're coming to New York and San Antonio. BrucePritchard.com. See you next week right here on Something to Wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.